0: today's podcast is brought to you by Scott Girly Megan. She sent me a present, so she's awesome. <laughs> Enjoy the show! <laughs> Everybody, I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa, and we are back. Today's episode of the podcast was on fire, and it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old, longtime Dresden reader/slash listener, and this
1: is my first time through.
0: And we chew it up and figure it out and, uh, hopefully, once in a while, have something knowledgeable to say. Hey. Once in a once every so, couple episodes. Every now and again. We, we get a nugget here and there. We, blind, rant, squ-
1: we rant and rave about useless shit, but that's alright.
0: <laughs> the blind squirrel occasionally
1: finds a nut. <laughs> exactly. the oh, clock is right twice a day. How are you doing today, Ice? I am alright. Finally, you got rid of a migraine that lasted about two and a half days. Ooh, that's so, fun. Yeah. That's Not the a plus.
0: migraine, but the getting rid of it part. Oh, yeah.
1: And it's that horrible post migraine hangover feel, which is the lousiest thing in the whole wide world. So I'm pounding my iced tea, which is caffeine and water. So, you know, the combo one, two punch. <laughs> Trying to deal with that. It's a lot of fun, let me tell you. And of course, it's hotter than normal here. Shocker.
2: Gross. Mm hmm. And the problem is, is the humidity. We're
1: almost at 50% humidity.
0: I'm like, yeah, it's, I mean it's, it's been warm here, too. Today's actually, it's been nice the last day or so. It's, it was, uh, I don't know, it's August. You kind of expect it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 89 degrees here. So it's not about like 110 that it would be if I were in San Bernardino. So,
0: you know. That's, that's very true. It's hotter in the shade in San Bernardino than it ever gets in Oh, Santa
1: yeah. Santa. 100%. It's just the humidity. Oh.
0: oh, goodness. I went on a nice bike ride today. Speaking awesome. The humidity. There was a great marine layer by the beach, so there was no sun to be seen, which meant it was doable. Nice short coastal ride today. Oh, nice. My buddy had uh, had to work, I guess. I, is that a thing people do? It doesn't sound oh. fun. I don't know why, but
1: generally speaking it isn't. It means you're a grown-up, which is awful. I always say that uh Numerically, I'm an adult, but I'll never be a grown-up.
2: <laughs> totally reasonable. Because who needs that shit?
1: And I found out my embroidery machine, that's been at the embroidery machine fix-it shop, is going to be available this week, which is exciting. Woo! The little things, so...
0: Oh man! <laughs> I think of embroidery projects I need. I don't think I have any of those for you. <laughs> I did get my keg fixed to up. To- I'm sure everyone was Shit. on pins and needles waiting to see if my apple cider came through and I'm drinking a-, drinking a glass of it. Now it's delightful. Awesome. Awesome. It's only like 4% too. so It's like, it's all right. easy, easy, easy living. But short of that, uh, I guess I'll catch us up and you can uh, get us into chapter 24. Woohoo. Sounds good. So we just found out a minor bit of, Interesting things about um, Thomas Wraith is apparently Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden's half brother
2: mm-hmm. via
0: his mother, uh, Margaret Gwendolyn. I think is her middle name. Mm-hmm. Le- Le- Margaret Gwendolyn Lefay. That's a chosen name, I believe. Have we heard that out? We no. haven't heard anything about that, so never mind. That's the first time. We- is it the first time we've heard that last name? It's not. We've heard it before. Margaret.
1: I believe we've heard it before. Yeah. Okay. But I just realized it's Le Fay, like of the Fay.
0: Yeah. And that is, so I probably spoiler alerted you there, but that's what it is because she spent so much time in the never, never and working with various yeah, creatures. Sure. I, I, my understanding is at least, and I could uh-huh. be misremembering as I tend to misremember all sorts of things, is that that is a chosen name as opposed to a given name okay. or rather it wasn't given to her at birth. Okay.
1: But, you know, I always pay attention to names in this because we've learned that names are so important, just like the whole Romani name.
0: Yeah, I get two or three text messages, just to fill everyone in. I get two or three text messages a week about different (laughs) name things. (laughs) Uh, And I mean that in the best possible way. Sometimes it's things I didn't think of, and other times it is really important. Um, One of the ones you mentioned over the last week or two is actually going to be very important as we move forward here. Up to and including today. Awesome. Maybe. Who knows,
1: but and just, just to give you frame of reference, like I listen to the, the, the podcast when I'm on my walks. Um, mm-hmm. if I, if I have a headache, I can't go to the gym cause I don't want to have an aneurysm. So I'll go for walks and <laughs> I literally stop in the middle of the sidewalk and text you, text you questions or comments or <laughs> observations. I probably look like a total psycho, but you know, that's okay. I have been walking and found funny comment things too, and just started laughing. So, you know, <laughs> my neighbors are probably like, oh, that crazy girl's coming by again. But hey,
0: I, uh, similarly, I'll, I'll, I'll have the audiobooks on when I'm doing stuff and then I'll sit down and kind of grind through a chapter here and there, mm-hmm. um, on my, what do you call it when it's a ebook? There you go. Actually, physically, I only have copies of like two or three of the novels and I couldn't even tell you where two of them are. I'm looking at Stormfront uh, on my shelf, but I don't know where the other ones are because I used to walk around with them and put them down and then, you know, eventually, our mother does that with her, uh. Kindle yes, and loses her Kindle loses for, d- for days at a time. And you find it in the yeah. weird, like in the cupboard and on top of the washing machine and in r- random places. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I wonder where I get that from, but yeah, <laughs> it's so cool. strange. No, but, I, understand. So
1: I do understand that.
0: Yeah, So I've taken to actually just putting it on my TV and scrolling through
1: oh, that's on the big
0: screen. I have a nice comfy chair in here.
1: Yeah. And it is, it is definitely going to be, uh, the series is going to be one of those sets of books that I would really like to have. I, I have a stupid number of books. I mean, and I have like you know my Kathy Reichs books, all of these like bullshit books. They're, none of them are like big and deep. And then I have another shelf of all of my weird like crime books from like school and like actual reference not reference books. And it's like when I when there's books I really like and be like, well, if I find a good deal on that, maybe I'll get it in a hardback or not hardback, a paperback. I'm not a big fan of hardbacks. I can't read hardbacks. They, I they just bother me. Um. <laughs> explains so much. I know. I know. I have no idea what it explains. It was just... <laughs> yeah. Well, but I'm also one of those people where um, I will have an audiobook, like three different books going, an audiobook, an, an ebook, and then a book book.
2: Mm-hmm. I just like,
1: I'll because I can't listen to audiobooks all the time, and I can't read books, book books at the gym or driving, so. And I call them book books, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, weird reading habits, <laughs> you know, at least you have them. Good yeah. Guy.
0: Able to read and get through it. Most of my reading is done through ebook. I used to have a long commute, like an hour commute every day. Um, I still have long commutes for coaching on weekends, but it used to be my, my day job was up, up in Orange County as well. So I would, I would listen, just chew through audiobooks. Oh yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of time for actual reading. Now the only book But that I counts. Needs-
1: I think audiobooks counts as reading.
0: I, a lot of people don't, but there I call them uh, elitists. It's it it uh, is it is the same. I mean, it's yeah, certainly not yeah. like using your eyeballs, but you're using your imagination and your vision. Yeah. You know,
1: your brain is still functioning the same way. I think.
0: I actually wonder about that, like as far as like physiologically. Not that it matters. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah.
0: So, okay. so uh, last week we found <laughs> uh, we met we met uh, Papa Wraith. We met Lord Wraith, the king of the White Court. Thomas's father, as well as Lara and Inari Wraith's father. And he is a scary motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And uh even when Lara Wraith is afraid of you, you generally are must be a badass. Um, uh, we learned a lot of white court lore. Um, and we found out, like I said, the big revelation was that Thomas is Harry's half brother. And it explains why Thomas has been helping him, it explains a little bit, um, and it certainly reframes their relationship and a lot of their interactions as well mm-hmm. and that's pretty much where we're at he headed home and he's got to go back because we have now Enari's been targeted uh not Emma who's the other one Giselle oh yeah has been tar has been uh, almost killed two other women have been killed and we are now getting into the nitty gritty here but we still aren't super close to understanding who are the bad guys who the murderers are um, or how they fit into this story. And again, the one line that seems important enough that they brought it up twice was that Arturo's independence streak is a matter for the white court. We don't know what that means, but it is important enough that uh, we repeated it later on in that section. So we are now the day after we're at chapter 24 and Harry has figured out that the curse is running on a ritual. Meaning that they have a some sort of benefactor who's actually providing the power, and they do some sort of mojo, and they s- send this power out, and it is on a timer right around eleven forty-five AM and PM. And he has an idea for how he can get out ahead of it this time because he knows when it's coming.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So Harry has rushed back to the studio. And he intercepts Genosa at the door, and he explains to Genosa that Inari was the target of the Entropy Curse the previous night. And he says, that's insane. What possible threat could she be to anyone? Incipient succubus, no threat at all there. There's (laughs) There's got to be some reason she was targeted. We just don't know what it is yet. She's only a child, Genosa said. And for the first time, I heard something like real anger in his voice. That was something to be noted. When kind men grow angry, things are about to change. Have you any idea who's behind it? Not yet. So,
2: Harry is, you know, figuring it out.
1: And Arturo asks, what can I do? And he says, nothing yet. Just keep going. Um, And he says, all right. May fortune smile on your efforts, Mr. Dresden. Don't know why she'd start now, which is 100% on point. So Harry brings his uh, loaded his loaded pack into the uh, studio. He has a 50-foot retractable chalk line, a mirror, a box of tinfoil, and half a dozen cam- candles. So the, my issue here, they dis- he describes everything he does, but we don't know what he does with the box of tinfoil. Foil is not mentioned. Oh, interesting. of bothered me. <laughs> yeah. Just details, details. Um and then he runs into Jake Guffey, loitery, uh who's loitering around the shooting studio, and he's draped over his chair in a pose meant to convey calm and confidence I'm not sure what made me think he was faking, but I knew it even before I spoke to him. I feel like that's a very Ooh. important thing I highlighted in my ebook. And Jake actually jumps when Harry talks to him. And he asks for a little bit of help. And he guess, for what? I'm setting up spell- a spell to protect everyone from evil magic. Uh, I don't want to disrespect your religion, man, but did someone spike your breakfast cereal with LSD or something? <laughs> <laughs> that made me giggle. Uh, he says, what can I say, Jake? I'm insane, but harmless. <laughs> and so they draw a bunch of chalk lines on the floor, and somehow it gets into that it's some kind of feng shui thing. And Harry's like, yeah, actually, I think that's about it. Feng Shui is about manipulating positive and negative energy around. Right here, hold this. <laughs> what I'm doing here is setting up a kind of, well, a lightning rod for a better lack for a lack of a better analogy. I'm setting things up so that if negative energy gathers again, it gets sent to the place I want it to go, rather than at a particular target, like a person.
2: Feng Shui. Okay, I can buy that.
1: And he he overthinks things, and I think that's why I relate to him so well. Um, (laughs) I really did need someone's help. And if I had to get someone to give me a hand on the set, I wanted either Jake or Joan as the least disturbing, or at least the least threatening, folks I had met. And since Joan was a woman, and therefore more likely to become a target of the curse, I didn't want her running back and forth through this gathering spell. The point was to move the bad mojo away after all, and it would be silly to leave her standing right there in the middle of it, which is completely reasonable. And But this is very hairy where he overthinks things and he thinks beyond the now. Even though he talks about how lousy he is at doing all this stuff, he's actually quite on point with it all. So he makes, does a bunch of lines, directional lines, and some, some. Magic circles. His goal is to lay enough, enough spikes of directional energy to make sure that when the curse came in, it have to hit at least one of them, hit the mirror, and then can be reflected back. And Jake asks, "Oh, I read about this one mirror to pull the bad mojo away. Sort of. If I've done it right, and the curse comes flying in, hits the mirror and bounces back at whoever threw it. That's kind of hostile, man. No, it isn't. Someone tries to send good vibes at us, they'll get that bounce back right at them. They go trying to pull off another killing. Well." what goes around comes around. Hey, that's a fundamental core of many religions. Golden rule, man. <laughs> then we start talking about the reason for the curse. Jake and Jake and Harry start discussing this. And Jake is like, is it money? You know, is Silverlight Studios behind it? Things have been pretty nasty for someone with a money motivation.
3: Hmm.
1: Materialism isn't good for the soul. Those are <laughs> Those are the folks who can do the worst when they're after money.
0: Love, love killed the dinosaurs, man. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> almost, the last couple chapters have just been so fucking, like, hippies. Dude, brah.
1: It's so spectacular. <laughs> uh, I have
0: no problem at all.
1: <laughs> I think it's fantastic. But again, this is, like, the character development where Butcher writes these characters, and they're so distinctly different. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. Money's new. Power's old. Power is the real deal. Money, voters, oils, SUVs. They're just stand-ins for power. For a Feng Shui artists, you're sort of intense, man. <laughs> That's the first time anyone's ever told me that. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Um
2: so Jake says,
1: Arturo gets like you between wives. Thank God that's over. Over? Yeah. I mean, he hasn't sent out invitations or anything, but I know the guy. He has hearts floating around his head for a couple of months, and he's in his b- days before wedding phase now. The fact that this guy knows that his days before weddings phase is kind of hilarious because that's- Yeah.
0: He's married. It'll be his fourth one. Yeah. But I do, I do love the perception. I like- mm-hmm. you, you, you haven't been a huge Jake or You've at least been- um." suspicious of his motivations um as well you should be especially in these novels (laughs) right but uh i do like his uh perceptiveness there and and really yeah you don't notice those things unless you care about someone so it tells you that you know a a bit about his and genosis relationship as well Mm
1: -hmm. in my mind most definitely and but he 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 is an aware person and that's one of the things that again it's character development minor character bits. So Bobby comes in and they're discussing Bobby's name. Bobby apologizes to Harry for being an asshole to him the previous day. It probably says something about me that I didn't even consider the possibility that he might be sincere until he coughed and shuffled over to offer me his hand. People didn't apologize to me much as a rule, but I'd seen enough after school specials to understand the theory. (laughs) And... Bobby is just a sweet, sweet summer child. Cool. So what are you guys doing? Feng shui. You know martial arts? Just spectacular. And so he's, you know, he tells Jake, you know, we're done. Thanks. Thanks for the help, bro. And he asks if Laura's here. Yeah. Why? No reason. I'll catch up to you later. It was important (laughs) that Arturo was in love. My gut told me it was important, but I couldn't kick my tired brain into telling me why. Because he's protected from the white, white court. 100%. Um, yeah. As I was walking, I was like, because he's protected from the white court. And I was like, I really hope no one's close enough to hear me talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so he calls Murphy and we find out a little bit about what's going on. He had a will on file that left everything to a couple of charities and his next of kin, who is his mother in Greece, who died a couple of years ago. So all the money goes to charity. And... They, the ex-wives have a fund that would have gone to the mother, but since she's dead, they get to keep drawing from it indefinitely. And that's part of each prenuptial agreement. At this point, it kind of irritated me. It's in the prenuptial agreement for all three of them. Three? Hells bells if the man was in love. But he knew that he had three wives, so I don't understand why he's questioning Yeah, three. yeah. Yeah, that, that line was weird like is it weird cuz he has pre- three pre prenups or what? Like I just didn't understand like the three No yeah, yeah, the that was one me. of those where it's more it's more
0: exposition than anything else, but I don't know why we need it here. Yeah, like, I don't I, either.
1: We already know.
0: Yeah, but maybe it was like his idea was like to remind the audience that he's already had three XYs, which I feel like is not giving anyone enough credit.
1: Well, and it's know. not necessary necessary because she says It's in the prenuptial agreement for all three of them. Yeah. You know, I just didn't get that. I don't know if it's like an error. Like he doesn't realize that maybe like this was the first draft. But but I I, uh, I guess
0: if you think about it, like there's a pause there just in his head. Yeah. But in real life, he said three. Does it mention a fourth? Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, there's only
1: three. Oh, maybe. Maybe only three prenups. Because he does ask what about a fourth marriage license. And she finds one. And it says the prenup, the no prenup for number, there's no fourth prenup. Um, and the, the marriage license is dated for the next Thursday, but there's a big blurry spot over the woman's name. Hello, new next of kin. Hello, motive, Murphy agreed. Hello, suspects. In the green room door opens and it is a woman in lingerie holding a big revolver. And she pulls the phone out of the wall. Sat there, holding the dead phone and the warm coffee, and said, "Hello, Trixie." I feel like that needs to be in that that like thirties voice. "Hello, Trixie." "Hello, Trixie." <laughs> "See, <laughs> see." Ah, uh, yes. These are the things that entertain,
2: and that's how the chapter ends. We
0: we we touched on this. All we talk about this all the time. Rather like the it's not. Uh, it's not an anachronism because it's the right correct criticisms, but it's um, just a function of the times, right? Where there's a plot point here that works because fax machines are stupid. Yeah. Whereas it would just be an email. I guess, I mean, you could say like, Oh, the scan didn't come through. I mean, it it still is pretty convenient.
1: But it works for the time period. And that's the funny thing. So I work, in my in my field, we get faxes. We send faxes, and it's the weirdest, stupidest thing in the whole wide world because it's like I could just send this as an email. <laughs> like records requests, you have to to get like a police re- report record. You have to send a fax, and now we send faxes through email, but it's still technically a fax, and it prints out on their fax
2: machine. It's wait, and what's it, that? We
1: send.
0: Oh, you said faxes via email. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: and we get them as emails. But in San Bernardino, we would get hundreds of pages of medical records via fax. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And it's just like, oh. Okay. But that's just, that was the nature of the beast.
1: I work in a fax-heavy uh, industry. Who knew?
0: <laughs> so Tricia, Trixie Strumpf genosa vixen expialidocious has the gun pointed at harry they have a little back and forth and he tells her to put the gun down to be safe and she says you don't give me orders don't you dare give me orders okay (laughs) i do love where i don't like i don't drink hot coffee but i understand i am i have a problem well i have oh so many problems as you dear listeners already are well aware um but among them in my one of my least problematic problems is i don't like drinking hot things I don't mind soup, but I feel like that's different. Um, but like, I don't do hot coffee. I do iced coffee exclusively. Like literally I lived in Toronto, Canada for two years. And so it would be negative a billion degrees. And I would drive through the Tim Hortons and get an iced coffee. I would have my heater on blast, but I would be drinking my iced coffee. Same way with tea. It's just, uh, yeah, it's weird. Can, it's not my thing. I can
1: drink hot coffee. I don't necessarily like hot tea. I have to be in a special mood, but I will drink iced tea year round.
0: Yeah, for sure. But it's just for some reason, I like drinks really cold. I didn't do well when I was traveling Europe drinking, because I was on vacation, and I was drinking beer for two weeks straight, and most of it was weird and warm.
1: Yeah, English beer is weird. They serve it at room temperature. It's just not, I don't, obviously we're, did, we could, we, Speaking of, did you have Suffolk Cider in England? I did not have it's Suffolk It's flat. Cider. What, what is it? It's cider, like boozy cider, but oh, it's interesting. flat. Interesting. It's awful. Absolutely awful. I ordered it on accident once and I was like, is it supposed to be fizzy? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's Suffolk cider. I'm like, oh. Okay. Oh.
0: I'd, I'd, I'd never heard of that until right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sitting here drinking, well, overly carbonated uh, cider. <laughs> <laughs> really is good stuff. It's nice and clear. <laughs> That's good. Ah. Uh. Good stuff. Got a great pint glass to drink it out of. So Woohoo. What was I talking about? Dresden vials? fax um, machines. Fax machines, Trixie. The hot coffee. The hot coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just got to the right temperature. And she says, No, you never got me my latte. <laughs> it right. says Right. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I mean it doesn't really fit. It's I don't think it would work as a quote of the week because it isn't very based on the context but yeah him saying him saying right good point i like died laughing <laughs> just, that good point for some reason just kills me uh well, it's just his snark where he's exactly. just like
1: good point we talked
0: about it yesterday like her and she brings it up here where she says i know you're afraid that's why you're talking you're nervous and talking because you're afraid of me
3: <laughs>
0: yeah par- paralyzed that's just how much you scare me
1: but paralyzed at the thought of losing my senior division shuffleboard career. Yes. <laughs> like that was just like, oh, goodness.
0: Well, when you die, you're not a senior. That's true. When you die, not before you're a senior, I guess. Like, yeah. dead people. You would know more than me how often dead, <laughs> dead people are seniors. You know, he asked what the next step is, and she says, there is no next step. He's like, what? We just sit here forever? He's like, no, I'm, in a minute, I'm just going to leave. He's <laughs> like, you, you brilliant fiend. I would never have guessed that your plan was to do nothing. and so this is her basically coming clean that she's involved her goal is to keep him sitting there while the curse does its thing and so he says well i'm going to tell the police and she'll say what that i held a gun on you for no reason what are they going to believe that or that you you know made unwanted advances and i had to pull my gun out and that line is really great where he says actually that wasn't a stupid plan which made me doubt trixie had come up with it all her own (laughs) (laughs) and she's on the phone with somebody and then he he explains that Obviously the police won't be able to stop you, but the white council will. And when you kill someone with magic, you get your head snipped off Mm -hmm. almost all the time. And he, I mean, he does get her to slip by, you know, saying that it's the curse. And she says, how did you know that? But I I think at this point, we don't need her to confirm it. Right. Yeah. But she's getting yelled at by somebody on the phone. Which is fantastic. Presumably some sort of boss. And he tells her about the circles and the kind of the net that he had put up with not Bobby. Who's the other one? Jake. Uh, He tells her about the net and the, the circle that he had put up with Jake. And she says that she destroyed the circle. She wiped off all the chalk. And so now the protection spell that he was working, you know, banking on isn't going to work. And the curse is going to come straight through again. And so that's the plan is she destroyed the protection and now she holds him until the curse hits. And then she walks out, which mm-hmm. is actually a pretty darn good plan. Unfortunately. I love the back and forth where she talks about her. You underestimate my powers. He's like, you have no powers. <laughs> right. He describes it as a, a cosmic vending machine, which I like. You put, you put it, you put it in two quarters, push the right button and the curse comes flying out. Yes. Um, just a great way to think about ritual magic. I, I love that world building and it's exposition, but mm-hmm. it's also like funny and great. So it's it because
1: doesn't... he's kind of just telling her off. He's kind of like, you're a fucking idiot.
0: Yeah. You suck. I...
1: Yeah. He's giving us the information as well as like completely just telling her she's a moron.
0: She called him Barry earlier. And here she says, you know, he, he asks, you can't possibly think this is all right. What are you doing? She's I'm protecting what's mine, Larry. It's business. So names, it is, a, names. It is about money. And mm-hmm. this is that, you know, obviously another name that she hasn't gotten right. She doesn't ever call it, refer to him as Harry, um, in any of the, their interactions, which are few and far between granted. Yeah. But she, you know, she says she doesn't feel the need to explain herself. And this is where it all clicks. She doesn't know either. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know who he's marrying. So they're going after every woman around Arturo. And she said there's only one little girl toy left pretty enough to suit his tastes. Emma. And when she's gone, I won't have to worry about her stealing what's mine. Hell's bells. It. Trixie, Emma's got kids. So did Hitler. He didn't. He had dogs. Whatever. Whatever. She's a magical. Oh. Uh, I do love that the, the cell phones aren't working super well. Uh, mm-hmm. Because of course they aren't. So she see as the curse comes through more than Harry in this case, because Harry really is just sitting there under control, but the Molochio was on its way. And as long as Trixie kept him there, there wasn't a thing he could do.
1: And so he decides uh, if he doesn't do something, someone else is going to die. Kids are going to be orphaned. He also had a gun in his face. Which, which is something that obviously
0: resonates specifically with him and is obviously a huge part of his psychosis. Most definitely. And it's something that he gets really defensive, you know, more healthily than he does with any woman in danger. Like the idea of like orphans and children
1: not having their parents is like something that really does hit him hard. It definitely does. And he also says that if he moves, he could, he could die and then Emma would die anyway. And so the smart money was on staying put. Simple logic, but there are things older than logic, like instinct. One of the most primal instincts in the human soul is the desire to protect children from harm. Even if the idea of Emma's death hadn't been motivation enough, the very thought of how savage, savagely this stupid, vain,al selfish harpy might scar Emma's children made me want to call down enough fire to roast Trixie Vixen and her sculpted ass to ash. This passage makes me want to write off every complaint I had about Harry and his wanting to protect weaker people, in which he phrases as women, but means just people that are smaller and weaker. It's instinct. Yeah. yeah, Like I said, this is a much healthier. Yeah. Because we discussed it about how if you replace women with weaker, that makes complete sense. And this sort of gives me that, like, okay, okay. It's his primal instinct to protect those who are weaker. And I can go on with that. And so he's thinking about like, how the fuck can I do this? How can I get off the, get away, get the gun? But he realizes that even trained soldiers and hardened criminals are often often wildly inaccurate with their firearms. Billy the Kid once emptied his Colt revolver at a bank teller from less than three feet away and missed him six times. I'd seen a police reel of a cop who had been forced to draw and fire at a suspect. And he emptied a full clip of the man from less than 20 feet away, missing him every time. But his thought process... And of
0: course, course we've all seen Pulp Fiction.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, But the other side of it is that she could get lucky. And then he feels a sudden wind, cold and ugly. The curse was almost there, and it was deadlier, more potent than ever before. A bare second of concentration told me that I would have no prayer of blocking that much magic, and even redirecting so much raw power would be nearly impossible. I don't know what had happened to make the curse that much stronger, that much deadlier. And it scared me half out of my mind. I had to do something and I had to do it now. So he creates kind of a distraction. He looks Which at the door. It really is. Cause she's not very bright. <laughs> and so then he throws his coffee at her face and he lunges at her, lifting the hands out of the telephone to swing it at her head. She cried out and stared at me. Her lovely face stunned Terrified, the Kyoto reflexes kicked in. I hesitated. The gun went off from two feet away. They continue to fight. The gun roars again. He gets his fingers around the wrist of her hand and slams it against the wall. The gun barked some more, but finally tumbled from her fingers to the floor. He kicks it across the room and she starts clawing at his eyes. And, you know, big old fight. She's collapses to the ground. Her leg is bleeding because she was shot in the leg. The adrenaline rushed through me, wild and mindless. I wanted to kill her. A lot. I hadn't ever felt that before. A sudden surge of fury, contempt, and disdain mixed in with a physical excitement only a few degrees short of actual arousal. It wasn't an emotion. It was nothing that tame and limited It was a force, a dark and vast tide, that picked me up and swept me along like a styrofoam packing peanut. And I liked it. There was something in me that took a deep and gloating satisfaction in seeing my enemy on the floor and helpless. That part of me wanted to see her screaming, and then see her die screaming. Holy crap. We've seen some of this
0: darkness before. Mm -hmm. Um, He's he's brought it up about confrontation with Justin and we certainly mm-hmm. saw it firsthand in full moon. Yeah, with the with the wolf belt, right?
1: But this is without any extra help. Yeah, this is dark.
0: Very. This is really dark and this it really a lot of the times moving forward Harry kind of like is scared of his own darkness in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've seen that presumably that's evident in his soul gazes as well,
1: right? Yes. I would imagine that darkness is there because we don't know what they've seen in the soul gaze. Correct. What we do know is that he has this darker side and that's likely what it is that terrifies people. But it also, that thought process Mm -hmm. makes me think that is why him, why he and Johnny Marconi are so well matched because Marconi has is just as dark. And I think it's kind of a mutual respect. And from that time that we didn't actually see the soul gaze. But we know that they had had a soul gaze, and I believe that that is what it is. I think that really gives us a lot of a background story on why he and Marconi, Marcone, what? whatever the fuck we're calling him, it have that almost like they what? are brothers in darkness. What's interesting to me about that exact comparison that I didn't mm-hmm. make,
0: like, again, yeah, this is me kind of spitballing as I'm thinking this through, so please bear with me if I say something dumb. Um <laughs> I actually disagree with that. I think I don't think Marcone is capable of this. Oh. Certainly not. I mean, he's evil in in a sense that he's organized, and like when someone needs to die, they need to die. Yeah. But this is—he wants her to die screaming, and he likes it. This is
1: fucking well,
0: brutal. Okay. This is metal as fuck.
1: Maybe, maybe it gives Marcone a bit of fear for for him, though. Yeah, like no, health, I get did, I did. a healthy fear. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't
0: mean to I didn't mean to poo-poo on your comparison. No, no, no. What I meant to say but was that, that makes sense. I think Marcone is less dark, less like Marcone's ceiling of goodness is way lower than Harry's, but I think his floor of evil might even be higher than Harry's. Like Harry has a yeah. wider range where he can really go bad. And some stuff happens later on where he like gets tempted and like has where he is really teetering on the edge sometimes Uh and it doesn't always again i'm just using you know leaning on my own memory of these it's like it doesn't always feel super earned because i don't remember that paragraph um again like that really explains some of his fears of his own darkness yeah um that he's shown prior to this and later like but like i said like that's a fucking metal sentence like he he was screaming and then see her die screaming, like Jesus Christ, well, brother.
1: The, the other, my other thought with that, which just kind of came up, is that his fury, his darkness is a burning hatred almost. Mm-hmm. Well, and like you said, Marconi's is a necessary evil in his yeah. mind, obviously. It's much more calm, cool, and collected. Well, this is a burning hatred a burning anger a burning rage it's that fire and ice kind of combination where it's this is almost taking him out of the sanity of the moment that was kind of what i saw uh, what i thought of, about this was that it took him out of the sanity of the moment and that's something that he needs and but i would understand why this would i mean it terrified her she starts you know i'll do anything you want just say just say it oh god please don't kill me And he walks through the door and sees two bullet holes in it. And I heard myself speak, my voice quiet and deadly cold. Shut up. And she did. It was that terrifying that she just shut up and she peed herself. Like, that's, that's abject terror. Yeah, no, no, no. And he's got a fucking gun. Let's take a breather here, uh, Larry. Right. Right. Right, Barry? And so he opens the door. To go deal with the curse, I didn't have to bother. Which is such a that line is so good. I, mean, I, I wouldn't
0: say good. Well, it's well, I, it's well. I know, what you, I know what you. mean. I'm just
3: saying. Crafted, <laughs> let's say.
1: Emma's corpse lay on its back in the hall outside. She'd been shot in the sternum and in the forehead, just over her right eyebrow. Remember, they talking about those lucky shots. These oh. were some lucky shots. She'd been dead before she fell, and her body had simply relaxed bonelessly to the ground. The shots couldn't have been more perfect if they'd been delivered by a professional assassin. The stray bullet. So, the 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 Malocchio had killed her. The stray bullets had simply been its instrument. Holy fuck. And Trixie starts freaking out. That wasn't in the plan. This wasn't part of it. He never said that. And then everybody comes out, Jake and Arturo and the camera guys, and Jake lets out a high-pitched, squawking cry. And then Harry realizes that there's a dead woman in front of him, another woman with a bullet hole in her leg, and he's standing there holding a gun. And Trixie realizes this too, and this vindictive, psychotic bitch starts screaming, help me, help me, oh God, don't let him kill
0: me too. And... Which again, very clever, and and yeah, you know, we've we've been gone over how like how dumb she is and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like, but a running joke, this is this is a
1: great move. Yeah, but it's also she is a vindictive bitch. She is all about her, and every everything we've seen it's all about her. How she can get over, get ahead, how she can be above people, why she freaked out that Laura was getting in. Lara was getting involved in the shoot, it, but that is completely on point with her character. He said he had. The benefit of one of those crystallized moments when nothing happens and it seems like you've got all the time in the world. He'd been too slow and Emma was dead and he looked guilty as hell. In the long term, forensics would figure it out, but he'd be stuck in jail. And in that, while he was stuck in jail, Mavra and her scourge, 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 scourge would find him and kill him because he knows that jail cells don't protect you from the supernatural assholes. If they want to kill you, they'll fucking kill you and you can't get out. He still doesn't know who's helping Trixie, but he needs to get the fuck out. I stared at Trixie for a hot, wild second and the look choked her continued shrieks to whimpers. Trixie may have been a female, but as of that moment, she wasn't a woman anymore. She'd crossed the line. As far as I was concerned, she and her allies had forfeited their membership card to the Humanity Club when they killed Emma. And I'd be damned if it... Damned if I was going to let them get away with it, but I couldn't do it from the inside of a cell. So he turns tails and runs. He runs into Joan in the doorway, and she's got a hammer in her hand. She'd gone through the locked door and beaten me to the exit. What are you doing? She demanded. I checked up for my shoulder. shoulder. I heard more shouts and running footsteps, heavy and fast. Bobby was running after me. If he tried to stop me here in the hall, I didn't think I could get away from him without hurting him, maybe badly but when I took another step toward Joan, she swallowed, her face pale with fright, but her eyes determined, and lifted the claw hammer. Joan, I panted, I have to go. No, I don't know what's going on, but I can't let you leave. I heard gunshots. Emma and Trish are hurt. I didn't have time to discuss it. I took a handkerchief from my pocket, wrapped it around the handle of Trixie's gun to maybe preserve any prints, and lifted it, not quite pointing it at Joan. There's not a time enough to explain, but if you don't let me go, it's going to keep happening. Someone else on the crew will get hurt tonight. Don't you dare threaten these people. It isn't a threat. I hated to do it, but I pointed the gun at her. Move. She started shaking, but adjusted her grip on the hammer and shook her head. I mean it. Jones stared at the gun for a moment. Then an expression of resolution took the fear from her face. She lowered the hammer and took a step toward me, putting the barrel of the gun about six inches from her sternum. I can't let you hurt anyone else. If you want to leave, you'll have to kill me too. He then wraps, he grabs the barrel of the gun and gives it to, to Joan. What are you doing? Take it. Trixie's fingerprints are on the handle, so don't touch it. She was the shooter. She's working with someone, and they're responsible for all the deaths and injuries lately. But when the cops show, she'll lie to them. And it looks bad for me. If the police arrest and hold me, I won't be able to help you when they strike again tonight. I have to go. I don't understand. Joan, if I was the one to her, who, who shot them, I would have shot you too. Would I give you the gun if I'd done it? Just leave the murder weapon here for the cops. Help me. I need to get back to my place, get a few things and go before the cops start watching. Try to delay them for just five minutes, please. My God, it's going to happen again if I don't stop it. Please, Joan, God, please help me. I must be insane, she said. I must be insane. And she stepped aside. And he hightails her the fuck out of there. Joan is brave as fuck in this moment on two sides of it.
0: She really is great. Like, like she's preparing amazing. to die and then also deciding to let him go. Like, is yeah.
1: just. I whole, mean, holy what crap! A, what
0: a what a scene!
1: Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I really like Joan. Again, it's these secondary characters that get this development that is just like, holy crap! Joan's got some brass balls on her. So,
0: he runs to the parking lot. And hops in the Beetle, and he hears the fire alarm go off. So that's, that was Jones' attempt to delay the police.
1: Which is brilliant. Which,
0: which is great. Um, he describes it as, in addition to police and probably an ambulance, a bunch of fire trucks were about to show up as well. It was going to be one hell of a mess to sort through. At least for CPD. By the time they made sure the building had been evacuated, seen to Trixie's wound, and taken statements from everyone in the building, I could probably walk to Havana. She bought me at least 10 minutes and probably more. Bless you, Joan. <laughs> I do love it. Um, he goes straight to his apartment.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, I like that he's driving. Uh, don't break two laws at once. If you're going to kill somebody, exactly. drive, drive, drive safely and uh, yep. under the speed limit. Yep.
1: Don't break the law while you're breaking the law.
2: Breaking the law.
0: So we, again, do that type of scene that I really like where he he breaks down the case in his head it's just mm-hmm. have you ever read oh what's the first Sherlock Holmes no, have you ever first of have you ever read any Sherlock Holmes no I haven't so I haven't gotten super deep into them but the first one is, it's a study in Scarlet there you go okay and it's a study in Scarlet and it's actually two stories there's a second one I don't remember what after at least they're they're maybe they're just put out together but unlike a lot of the Sherlock Holmes media we see
3: mm-hmm.
0: where they kind of work it out for the, with the audience
3: mm-hmm.
0: or they give you opportunities to work it out at least. Yeah. He just in the climax just says what happened. Like, Oh, I figured this out because of this. And they ta this. Ta-ta-ta! And it's certainly interesting and he's not supposed to be super likable. So it kind of fits, but it's not rewarding or at least wasn't for me. I and mean, like, obviously I haven't read a ton, but I yeah. went through that one. and was just Almost, I mean, disappointed is the right word, but it's not fair. Um, Cause it's, you know, one of the, like, one of the important mystery characters, if not novels. Yeah. And I really love this where he breaks it down and solves it with you. And he does this a lot. And oftentimes she'll solve it wrong. Right. Which is great, which is, you know, a lot of trial and error and, and working through it. But I do like that. And, you know, he realizes obviously Trixie's involved mm-hmm. and she knew, she knew enough about the ritual and stuff like that, that she had to have been involved. Definitely. But she wasn't obviously there running the show. You know, she wasn't working the curse today because she was Mm -hmm. at the studio. So again, we just, we have more bad guys to find and we're asking more questions and getting answers. Mm -hmm. But also he said, you know, today's curse was different. The other ones are kind of freak. And like he said, if they hadn't been for the deaths, they would have been funny. Yeah. But this, this one was just mean and quick and straightforward and strong. Yeah, exactly. It
1: was very. Um, he noticed the strength of it too. Yeah,
0: but he talks about why you need three people for these, which is great. Kind mm-hmm. of lore sentence here, but he's talking about like controlling the power, aiming, and pulling the trigger. They're all easy, but doing all of those at once mm-hmm. is difficult, even for wizards, right? So because of that, they basically kind of share the responsibility, and that's why it's three people. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: double double boil. Wait, was it?
1: Bubble, bubble, boil, and... No, double. I can't... I don't know it off the top of my head. (laughs)
0: Some theater nerd you
1: are. I know. Either Uh, way. uh, Double, double, toil, and trouble. trouble. Toil! Fire, burn, and cauldron, bubble. There you go. (laughs) I know it's cauldron, burn, and... and, uh, Fire, burn, and cauldron, bubble, but I couldn't remember if it was toil, toil, double. But double, double, toil, and trouble fire burn and cauldron bubble Scottish play
0: As he works through it. You know, obviously it would take three people and it would mm-hmm. require generally require more skill and focus than Trixie has,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which is why some of the, some of them were ridiculous, right? Cause that seems like more Trixie's style. Yeah. But it would definitely take three people, three yeah. Stregas, which I looked up and is actually, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, Taken some leaps here, but I'm guessing it's based on Stragaria, which is an Italian um, word for rich, witchcraft. So okay. an Ital- Italian term for witch, which fits based on what we're talking about, right? That Definitely. evil eye. And so, but he well, says- Well, the malocchio
1: he- is the Italian word for it, right? Didn't they say it was Italian?
0: Yeah, exactly. So okay. that's, it, it, it's why I make, I'm okay to make the leap and connect it. But he says it would take three people, three Stragas. Three former Mrs. Arturo Genosas. but Trixie says he. Well, we also know there's a fourth person involved because it takes three people, and she wasn't there.
3: Mm.
0: So there's okay, some, I didn't see it like that. Okay. right? So there's three. You need three people, and there's an and there's a, there's one he and three the three Stragas are in this. The three. Uh,
1: oh, okay. So I was wine. thinking that the, that the it included the he. It does. There's four killers. Okay, because I was thinking the three included the he. Okay, that makes so sense. So the three
0: today did because she Trixie wasn't there. Gotcha, okay. Yes. So there's three people have to be in the circle doing the thing, or around the circle at least, doing the thing.
1: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So He asked if Lara was going to be there today. And no, she did? wasn't. Who asked? Harry asked Jake, is Lara yeah. going to be here today? That's and right, he said that's right. no.
0: I thought he said, I don't know.
1: Oh, I thought he said no. But the other thing is, is a would Lara do that? Considering how upset she got when her sister got hurt. Yeah, that that's was what the I, thing that pulled me out.
0: Well, we're re- well. I don't know why Lara. You're bringing up Lara, right? Because we know there's three. She's an ex-wife, isn't she? No, Lara Romani's not.
1: Lara's not that right. That's right. Sorry, I have all of my.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's Lucille is the one we haven't seen Lucille. yet. Lucille, gotcha. we've only seen the picture of her in you know the kind of the scrapbook. Yeah, and I actually literally was on my bike ride today was trying to think of, you know, think through, obviously I think a lot about Dresden files, (laughs) uh, but try, it took me a a few seconds to remember Lucille, "Ah, Lucille, that was it. Um, just because she got stuck in my head. She's so infrequently brought up here, Mm -hmm. but Harry seems to immediately color her a suspect. Yeah. And there's a male. So Laura not being there may be suspicious for sure. Why isn't she there? You know, she's obviously had a bit of a night, but, uh, yeah. It's certainly suspicious when anyone doesn't show up and then there's a big murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't, she certainly could be one of the, one there, maybe there's five, right. But we do have three ex-wives and a male who we're certainly tracking as the main suspects at least. Yes. Um, So he knows there's four killers and he's pretty much the only one who could stop them. mm Mm-hmm. And he's basically decides that he's probably got 12 hours or they're going to target him. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Certainly. Especially if they're done cleaning up all the women around. Although Inari didn't die and Lara's back. So who knows? But Trixie said this was the last woman, right? So presumably that means they're done killing the women and they may as well point the gun at Harry next. There's Joan too. There is. I think Trixie was saying she's not pretty enough. Not pretty enough. Okay. She's not his type. or whatever. But yeah, no, that is, there's Joan, there's, uh, what's her name? Inari and Lara, at least. Plus yeah. the second, you know, that second cast that was there the night that Harry said, yeah, that's doing true. First. That's true. So who knows, but he certainly is on the list at least now. Oh, most
1: definitely reasonably ass,
0: assume it would make sense to kill him next because he can stop them and then they can take their time with the rest of them. Yeah. So, um, but that's assuming, of course, that Mavra and the vampire scourge, or possibly the, ma- the man I'd hired to help me kill them, didn't mm-hmm. take me out first.
1: I love that there's more than one guy that can fucking
0: just destroy him right now. Oh, well, yeah. They, it wouldn't be a Dresden novel if there no. were multiple <laughs> opportunities Exactly, It's fantastic. He gets home and he sees Mr. Flying down the sidewalk and Bob hops out and he says, well, did you find her? Yeah, I found her he gives him permission to come out of the, the cell cell, yeah, you know, Freudian, in. but, uh, the skull and he draws him a map basically and shows him where it's at. It's a homeless and rehab shelter, which is not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, because, but because there's no threshold on a place like that and there's a f- constant supply of people that may or may not be missed. It, uh, isn't, Great and it but it makes sense for black court vampires. Facts. We get we get some lore on blampires here. We learn about Renfields and Dark Hounds. Renfield is a character from Stoker's novel. And they're basically thralls, but they're thralls that are so complete that their mind is destroyed. And they're basically just murdered machines who have no thoughts for themselves. Um they're gonna have weapons. And it's it's not a but it so they separate kind of the ideas of a thrall and they mention Elaine doing so, which anytime she pops up, it seems more sketchy. important. It seems. Yeah, it's sketchy. It pops. Right. So yeah. I wanted to draw some attention to that. But a fine thrall is so controlled that they might not even know they're a thrall at all. And it lasts long term. And Harry asks, like what to did to Elaine. Which asks a lot of questions, among them how oh,
3: yeah.
0: how long term? Yeah. How deep did Elaine get? You know, she obviously she referred to herself as a thrall before, right? So, so like, knew like
1: but is she still enthralled?
0: That's the que- one of the questions it brings up, right? Yeah. We know we know DeMorne is dead, and according to Word of Jim, dead dead. <laughs> oh, try to clear that up. But uh, there's another character that someone's asking. And he said, oh, he's at least as dead as DeMorn.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Uh, I really would love to go to one of these talks just to hear the guy riff. Yeah. We got we to gotta find a con and do a con episode. <laughs> but that line having nothing to do with this novel, I know it's talking about thralls and so it does fit. It's not, it's not awkwardly placed or anything like that. It just certainly on a deep dive like this, it gets... My neck hair is standing up, my spidey sense is tingling. Uh-huh. And I know what happens the rest of the novel, right? But it's it's more about what where what what? Why is that line there? And how really my thought is like, what yours is it? Was she still enthralled? Like, how long term yeah. is this? How long is this right now? A lot of magic, as we've seen in the past, will kind of break when the spellcaster dies or when they mm-hmm. change move to a different realm. Like we talked about that with in summer night when oh. they were talking about going from the never, never back and but, forth.
1: I'm sorry. But, this just popped into my head. A Wizard has a death curse. Could that be part of Demore's Justin's death curse that she's still enthralled?
0: Quite possibly. And we also saw, well, I mean, we did see Sorry, that it was one of those like, Holy no. shit. We just talked about death curses. No, that's great. And that's what I mean is that we, we know that magic can last longer. Yeah. But, but as Bob said, you have to, you have to attach it. You're know, usually using a bloodline like Harry's mom did, but there could very well be more to that. And I, I like you, I'm not convinced. I've never thought Elaine was bad, bad, but after kind of going through some of these and talking to you about it and, and really digging into that betrayal in summer night. Yeah. I, I'm less a fan than I started of hers. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, She's just- also
1: easily. Controlled. It seems like.
0: Not about easily, but I mean, Demorne is a crazy powerful wizard.
1: Yeah, but I mean, she's just being controlled again.
0: What do you mean again?
1: Well, she well, she was kind of being controlled by the Fae.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say she's being controlled. I, I think she was in. She made those choices. She may have huh. felt like she a choice. I think that gives too much credit, Uh or it doesn't give enough credit to that betrayal. Personally,
1: yeah, that makes sense.
0: Um, again, in the end, she did mostly the right thing. She does need to shut the fuck up about Harry's love life and stuff, but um, <laughs> I digress. But we learned that Renfields aren't like that. Red courts are quick and dirty ways for the Black Court to pick up some cheap muscle. They've been okay. crushed into total thraldrum by brute psychic force. You're kidding. The kind of mental damage that would do to someone, it destroys their sanity when it happens. Makes them no good for anything but gibbering violence. But since that's pretty much what vampires wanted to begin with, it checks out. <laughs> How do you get them out of it? You don't. The original Merlin couldn't undo it, and neither could any of the saints on record who've tried. A thrall can be, f- be freed, or recover over time. Renfields can't. From the moment their minds break, they've got an expiration date. Which is sad. And we get another mention of Des Moines here, because he, Justin, did quite a bit of research on the subject. Because he was investigating all sorts of dark magic, it seems um, not a great dude.
1: No, but also we, you know, we kind of knew Bob was sort of his source of all that information, mm-hmm. and this really just confirms it.
0: Yeah, and Bob, Bob is he's more than a research assistant. He's you know, obviously a, an air spirit and all these things, a spirit of intellect, yeah. and all sorts, <laughs> all sorts of different descriptions. But in the, at the end of the day, he's, his role is research assistant, right? That's yeah. not who he, that's not who he is, but that's his job. And so, he was that for DeMorn and then somehow passed on to Harry. I don't know how much we know about that yet, so I don't want to speak more of that. But that's kind we of what this. Don't know
1: much about it at all.
0: Yeah, that's what this infers. Yeah, and I I don't think that's a spoiler. I think that's just in the text there. Right? Yeah. But <laughs> what? Oh, uh, just was about to read this next line. I'm trying to decide if I want to or not. And Harry rightly says, "Murphy isn't going to like this." Yeah dismembering monsters with a chainsaw is one thing. People are another. Yeah, people are easier.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That made me giggle. Like, Bob!
0: I do love Bob so much. And I think you can sort of understand going back in time when we had kind of disagreements over how much leeway to give Bob, Mm -hmm. um, why I was leaning so much onto Bob's side, because he's just such an entertaining character.
1: He seriously is.
0: While plenty problematic, and I I do think we do a good job pointing that out, uh, certainly you better than me, because I have a, Decade-long connection to this character, who's over-the-top absurd, but <laughs> yeah, no people killing people super easy, <laughs> super easy.
1: I guess if it if you think about it in a matter of like levels of difficulty, not like the emotional attachment. That yeah, like, exactly. Overall element.
0: Well, remember, Bob doesn't have any right and wrong concept. Mm-hmm. He all all of that is based on what he learns about the people around him. And, and usually yeah. as he's learning these rules of right and wrong, he's also very seriously judging the humans. So oh, he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't make <laughs> anything of it. So, um, this is one of those right and wrong things, but, but he says, Bob, they're people. Renfield's aren't Harry, they might still be moving around, but they're pretty much gone. It's like, boy, uh-huh. that would be fun to explain to a courtroom. Nice. I love it. <laughs> Screw the laws. Kill them all. Bob said with a weary cheer. <laughs> Oh goodness. Oh <laughs> I don't really feel like I need to read through this whole thing. This is more for you, the I bet they look like normal dogs afterward, huh? And beforeward, Bob said.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. The and before words. And um so one of my favorite parts was what kind of weapons are they to- toting? Uh teeth. we we'll see <laughs> <the> teeth, Harry. <laughs> Not the dogs. Uh, I love it. I really just there's so much in this that's just so entertaining.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just Again, it's, it's uh, the first scene with Bob in a while, you know, since the one where he was, uh, was, reprimanded. Very, was very brief when he was reprimanded and threatened with the, uh, claw hammer. Yeah. Um, which incidentally is the same weapon that Joan had. Yes. Which is
1: interesting, but it's, it's very much a weapon of, uh, convenience.
0: Oh, absolutely. In both cases. Oh yeah. But we basically, so the rundown here is they have kind of four levels of bad guys. We have the black court vampires themselves, Mm-hmm. who will presumably mostly be asleep. We have regular thralls, fine thralls who have some, mm-hmm. you know, they can get them out of it with some bats. They have the Renfields, which are the quick and dirty mind smashed thralls who have r- rifles, grenades, and body armor. And then the dark counts, which are, have claws and teeth. Mm-hmm. So, which requires a lot of different preparation and techniques for the different types of bad guys. Um, it also complicates things because how are you, how can you tell the different creatures apart before, mm-hmm. you know, necessarily before they show themselves certainly, you know, creating another big problem. And the, the, these books tend to do that. And usually, you know, sometimes it's, it's more fluid than others where you weave two completely separate problems together. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they come together in the climax. Sometimes they don't, but it's two very serious problems and they're separate kind of cases or ideas. And mm-hmm. I like that
1: because that's. The compound, compounding problems. It certainly
0: is that, but it's also like life doesn't stop because you got to no. go to a porn set for a week, you know, like you, you still got the other shit to deal with and life doesn't yeah. stop because you want to go kill a black court scourge as you and I both know. Obviously. Real life problems still circle back, you know?
1: Well, and part of it too. I real what I really like about the style of writing is that while there is a, Main baddie, main case of the week. All of this, all of all of this other stuff still exists. All of the real life stuff, like you said, real life doesn't just stop. But I really appreciate that the real life for Harry isn't like, you know, oh, he wrecked his car. It's, oh, there's vampires after me. <laughs> like, it's just such a great addition to the real, the quote unquote, real world. And all of this stuff is still really grounded in that real. Yeah. Love.
0: No, it, it's great. And it's just the, the, the fact that the Black Court almost got wiped out because the White Council published a like, book, really pushed Stoker's novel is great.
1: But it also makes me wonder, was he enthralled by the White Court? Who's that? Stoker. Was Stoker enthralled? Is that why he All right. It? So I, I apologize. Yeah. It wasn't the White Court. It was the White Council. I may have misspoke there. Oh, I thought it was the White Court. I thought he said it was the White Court. Because in my head, I, I thought White Court too. Hold on. Oh,
2: no. That's why the white court had Stoker publish the book. Oh, okay.
0: So unless that's a typo. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem to be, but that's interesting. Uh, Well, because he talks later, this is a long, again, this is a big exposition dump, right? It's entertaining because it's Bob. At the end of the day, this is a, this whole chapter is an exposition dump. And the next section, he talks about the, who could be running the ritual spell, the, the ritual curse. Yeah, and you know he says he has to basically has to think about it. (laughs) But he says who sponsors Ritual curses these days? Well, in theory, a lot of powers, which the capitalization there I love. Yeah, in practice, though, the writings on most of them have been gathered up by the council or the Venatori or someone else with supernatural clout, or else destroyed. It might take me time to recall all the details Um, because he's got six hundred memories of six hundred years worth of memories to sort through, and he's exhausted. Same, bro. (laughs) But first off, there's a mention of the Venatori there, which I don't think we've seen before. And it doesn't come up a ton, but that is certainly mentionable. Yeah. Anything they name drop is worth looking at and and being aware Mm -hmm. of, right? Right. Um, Which is why we spent so much time talking about that Elaine name drop above. Yeah. But but this one, we don't have a lot to go on, but the the council and the Venatori seem to have similar goals and they gather up all the writings and presumably destroy them so that no one can do these ritual curses. So which may or may not give clues to tracking them, tracking down our, our murderers kind of the ringleader here, but who knows? But then they talk more about a bloodline spell. Yeah. Specifically in this case, the working that Harry's mother had put into Thomas and him,
1: but he, but Bob also says, uh, got to be blood relation, that kind of thing. Maybe he had a kid.
0: Well, exactly. Which we... But Bob, because doesn't, Bob doesn't know. Yeah, Harry hasn't told him yet. But very clearly, Bob, I mean, Bob kind of falls ass backwards into the exact answer here, is that Harry's mom worked some sort of spell, and it was connected to Thomas... Her bloodline. And Harry, and, you know there's more to it than that. She didn't just work this very difficult bloodline spell just to have a quick chat about ways and means. No, Obviously
1: there's going to be more shit coming up with that. But I feel like that also is why, and this Harry talks about a little bit, like my mother could have laid out a curse on someone. And as long as I was alive, it would still be viable. Exactly. But I also feel like it might be that the curse on Harry and Thomas or that, you know, the bloodline protection, That's why Thomas is still alive.
3: Because remember, yeah. all, I of, mentioned-
1: all of the males, Thomas's half brothers have all died. So I feel like that's an important part that that's maybe that's why Harry survived some of this shit. Yeah.
0: He's not just getting lucky. He's actually got some supernatural protection quite, yeah. quite possibly.
1: Because it seems like, remember, we've mentioned this before, that there's something else going. I've, You know, I've had crackpot theories about it, that there's something more. Mm hmm. And maybe that's what the something more is, you know? Yeah. No, I mean,
0: they're clearly by their soul gaze proved that there's something.
1: Yeah. I mean, we know that they're connected because they're half brothers. That's a big deal. Yeah, exactly.
0: And he references uh, Bob references the loop guru Mm -hmm. whose bloodline, we don't know of any bloodline still around with that guy. Right. Because he died.
1: I don't think there is one.
0: His wolf lady ran off. But Bob says his own bloodline keeps the curse fueled. Not yeah. kept keeps. keeps. Oh. Which lends, lends credence to our Tara West is pregnant with a half human, half woman. Yeah. Which yeah. I, I really hope we get to see soon. There's again one of my crackpot theories that I'm sure I read somewhere. I don't I come up with nothing. I zero I, <laughs> percent of what's going on in my life have I come up with. But there's, there's just, just a, there's a, so
1: much interesting.
0: Yeah. This chapter is just a big lore exposition dump. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I love it. And it's all yeah. entertaining. It's presented in a good way, but really it's Bob asks skull question. Skull answers question. Bob yeah. asks skull or Bob. Harry asks skull question. Skull answers. Harry yeah. asks skull question. Skull answer. But it's still a compelling and interesting chapter that I love it. <laughs> Again, it's Most definitely bad exposition jumps out at you. This isn't that. This is no, this no, flows no. in the story for sure.
1: It obviously works. And this is a, this is a tack that is, is frequently taken Mm -hmm. and I love it because it works.
0: Yeah. And a big part of that is that Bob, the character works. If Bob didn't work, it would be really difficult for these to be successful. Like if it didn't work, I mean, you know, as a character, he's fun and entertaining and, and it, a good, uh, foil for Harry. for Harry. Um, one of the things that in the show, which again, I'm only like five episodes in of the nine or twelve or however many there are, so I, I don't want to speak too definitively. But they change Bob a lot, and I don't think he works nearly as well on the show. He's not humorous. He's like a oh, okay. He's like a ghost or something like that.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is again, you, you have to change things for adaptations. Like that's not me criticizing.
1: I Certainly, like the idea. <laughs> I would. I love. I would love to see this. It would be probably be better as an animated.
0: Yeah. Have you seen? Sort of um, or at least like know the Castlevania.
1: Uh-oh. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it.
0: Yeah, I've never watched any of it, which is weird. I should. But that animation style is really cool and one that like there's a big portion of the fandom is is big on and kind of thinks it would fit that par- partially just because they're similar and uh-huh. en- energies. So it makes sense. But it really does look cool and it's kind of like would be really cool to see. And there was a couple years back, there was a conversation that somebody had purchased the rights or something like that and- Oh, it, you know, obviously development hell exists probably uh-huh. worse for TV shows than movies just because oh, yeah. you
3: need
0: to chew through so many, but it um, is certainly, I don't think we've had any movement on that front, but there is a conversation at least about getting it on back on some form of television or streaming. Cool. And then we very much change gears. Yes. And there's some sort of communication spell with the staff, That we don't get a lot about, but basically his staff kind of quivers and then Harry bangs on the ground. And then as he climbs up the stairs, a heavy old Ford truck, battered and tough looking survivor of the Great Depression, pulls into the parking lot next to Mm -hmm. his boarding house. It had Missouri plates and a gun rack at the back. (laughs) And uh, Ebenezer McCoy says, hey there, hoss. You look like 10 miles of bad cliches. (laughs) Good to see you, sir. You went over your head says this feels too stubborn to know when to run, (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm.
0: which is not inaccurate. He does know exactly his old apprentice and they head off. And this is where you've been chuckling as we bring it up. But the reason why I was referencing this, where Ebenezer says, your Morse is rusty on my staff. It sounded like you spelled it blampires. I did black court vampires. (laughs) I love that. So we do have blampires, vampires, rampires, and presumably Jampires, but we don't really talk much about the Jade Court. Um,
1: <laughs> spectacular.
0: Again, one line that I really like is when you know, Ebenezer asks him who they're going after, and Harry says, Mavra, you know her? I know it. Killed a friend of mine in the Venatoria once. Again. And she was in the Warden's files. They suspect she got... So, uh, we, she's got more than a little skill. We think she's probably a wizard. They kind of communicate about that. And... You know, he asked what the plan is. Harry says, I've got help. We got Murphy. The police girl? God, don't call her a girl. At least not to <laughs> her face. Yeah, her and a mercenary named Kincaid. I haven't heard of him. He works for the archive, and he's good at killing vampires. I'm going in with those two, but we need someone standing by to get us out in a hurry. Man. <laughs> I'm the driver, eh? And I suppose you want someone to lock down Maver's power? She got access to that much magic? It hadn't occurred to me, really. But hey, if you're bored and want to do that, <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, which is great. Uh, obviously. Yeah. I don't think he would drive all the way out here just to be the wheel man. So we, mm-hmm. we know he understood that, but just their interaction. Again, with the, these interactions tell you so much about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not minor above those. The fact that Harry refers to him as sir, or refers to, to him as Sir, mm-hmm. right. That, that honorific that we've talked about in the past, how important honorifics and names are obviously yes. names, but honorifics as well. That's one that we haven't really seen him use a whole lot, certainly,
1: yeah, I mean, and it's it emphasis on how important it is,
0: yeah, and i I again, a great little small piece of lore here as we get out of it, where Ebenezer says if she's got a wizard she's got a wizard's power, she might be able to level a death curse at you when she goes down. Oh, Fear, she's already dead oh, <laughs> uh, so Ebenezer asks, so where are we going? check the time on a bank billboard. Do those still exist? I forgot about those until reading the, that sentence. Um, last week. I've and seen like, a
1: couple <laughs> of them. There's one in, in Loma Linda. There's one in Redlands that have a, a bank, like a thing that has a time and the temperature. Yeah,
0: the time and the temperature. I guess in the Inland Empire, you need temperature checks. Pretty yeah. <laughs> but Harry says, a picnic. We are going to the Murphy picnic.
1: Which is fantastic. hmm mm-hmm. Um... So they show up at the picnic, a small, what looked like a small army invaded a portion of Wolf Lake park and claimed it in the name of God and clan, clan Murphy, <laughs> which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So he's walking through, um, he is stopped by some, uh, by a man with a white star from cooler questioning his, his presence in the public park. And mind if I ask what you're doing here? I didn't have time for this crap. Yes. <laughs> and he eventually says, you know, I'm here to see Karen Murphy. Um uh, oh, over there, she's refereeing their soccer game. Thanks. You know, it wouldn't kill you to be a little more polite. Why well, take chances? <laughs> 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 um but then he describes Murphy. And this I'm going to read this just because it's so indicative of the respect he has for her and how high of regard he holds her in. Murphy had excelled at her new job, much to the distress of the folks who had gotten her put there. Partly, to be sure, because she had engaged the services of the only professional wizard in Chicago, but also because she was damned good at her job. She'd been able to inspire loyalty to judge and employ her detective's skills effectively, and to keep everyone together through some fairly terrifying times both in my company and outside of it. She was smart, tough, dedicated, and everything else an ideal leader of a police division should be. Except male, in a profession that was still very much a boys' club. As a result, Murphy had made a number of accommodations to the male ego. She was an award-winning marksman. She had taken more than her share of martial arts tournaments, and she continued to train ferociously, most of it with among and around cops. There was no one in the department who had any questions about whether or not Murphy could introduce the baddest guys, baddest bad guys to new vistas of physical pain in hand to hand. And no one who had survived the battle with the loop guru would ever doubt her skill with firearms or her courage again. But being Murphy, she went the extra mile. She wore her hair shorter than she liked it. And she went almost without makeup or adornments. She dressed functionally, never scruffy, mind you, but almost always very subdued and practical. And never ever wore a dress. So she's wearing a dress that we learned that her mama made for her and she thought it would make her happy to see her in it.
0: This description of Murphy is great. And I love that it took him a few novels to see her in a dress because if she mm-hmm. had been wearing a dress and say full moon,
1: it, it would have the same impact.
0: Well, it wouldn't have the same impact, but it also would have been just a, just an atrocious paragraph. I think. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah a hundred percent. And that's both Harry maturing, Butcher maturing as an author. Yes. Him kind of abandoning some of the noir bullshit you have to lean into. And then also Harry and Murphy's naturally progressing relationship, right? Being a lot more more mature yeah. than it was. But I just, you're, you're right. And I love that you read that whole thing because it, it is just so, it's just it's compliments such, after compliments. Yeah. It's respecting her struggles, respect, respecting her, her like successes. Yeah. And just against all odds being a badass and it is so different than so many of the descriptions we've had, even of Murphy in the past yeah. that I love it.
1: It's just, it, he is putting her on a, a pedestal out of respect.
0: Yeah. Not a pedestal. Like he does, you know, he puts women on a pedestal cause they're fragile and break, breakable. But like, this is because she's the fucking.
1: best. She's that, of the she,
0: best. Yeah. She's, she's, she's that guy, pal. Like yeah. she is, she's the like, like amazing. And. Yeah. recognizing that and, and, you know, expressing that so clearly is really, which is really great to see. Um, definitely. and certainly a, I don't want to say a turning point cause we've seen this progression, but this is definitely the best of that. I think it's, um, it's, and, and it's literally lays just, it out. Yeah. And she's just like standing there in a dress and it, it's, it never gets to be creepy. It never gets over. I just, no. it, it really is just respecting who she is and love. explaining why her in a dress drops his jaw. Um, but yeah. it's, it really is interesting. And I, I like you you, like you hit the nail on the head by really going all the way through that.
1: I love it. I loved it so much. Uh, but I also kind of love that her mom made it for her. <laughs> a, that tells us a lot about her family. And we learn a lot about her family in a very short period of time. Oh, in the summer, in this I wanna- so uh, Harry gives Murphy a rundown. About what's going on. Um, the driver's here. Called Kincaid about 20 minutes ago. He'll have the hardware nearby and waiting. He gives her a brief rundown of Emma's murder. And she says, at least this time around, I heard it from you first. What else do I need to know? Tell you on the way. And she says, that, you know, I promised my mom I'd come talk to her before I laugh. My sister needs to tell me something. And sister sitting there. Baby sister has pretty legs, I noted. But those shorts must be a little binding. The clothes keep the blood from reaching her b- brain. And Murphy said, at least that's my theory. And so they kind of make nice. <laughs> Harry notices that the crowd of people around the pavilion has gotten very thin. And Lisa is behind Murphy, Lisa's little sister. And she's introduced to Ma- Mama Murphy and they are chat- chatting. And then she turns around and said, this is my baby sister, Lisa. Lisa, this is... Murphy froze her words, dying into a choking gasp. Rich, what are you doing here? She calls him a miserable son of a bitch, and we learn that Rich is her second ex-husband. Harry kind of gets between it and said, whoa, whoa, people. <laughs> I must have been feeling suicidal because I took a step forward and placed myself in the middle of a circle of angry stares. Come on, guys, at least let, get, let me get introduced to everyone before, uh, before the fighting starts, so i will know who to duck. <laughs> and... Mama Murphy likes this. She feeds Harry, which is great because we know that, you know, Harry does love food. And it's just the way he likes it. I was favorably impressed with Mama Murphy. And I was starving, too. More bonus points. And so we learn Lisa's also a fucking bitch ass. It isn't my fault if you're too much of a bitch to get a man to stay with you. Rich wanted an actual woman, which is why you aren't involved with him anymore. And I didn't tell you because it was none of your damned business. Mama Murphy scolds her, saying that a lady doesn't use that kind of language. And Murphy says, and those aren't the kind of clothes a lady wears. She might as well talk like a whore, too. So obviously they have a very close relationship. Yeah, buddies. Ah, oh, totally close as this can be. And kind of Harry gives Rich a look and he gets up and walks Lisa away. And Harry says, Murph, remember, no time. Harry gets a chance to eat the burger. Oh, my God. For food this good, I'd marry Murphy just for her mom's cooking on holidays, <laughs> which is fantastic. And this next section really bothered me. This this is my, and I know that we have a yikes section. This is my only yikes for the entire section where Mama Murphy's talking about, you know, well, I want to be, I want to, he wanted grandbabies. You didn't, you divorced him. I'm sorry, but your little sister does not get engaged to your ex-husband. I don't care who they are. This is just fucked up shit. And Mama Murphy supporting it because she wants grandbabies. Like, ugh. Ugh, I don't like, I don't like it all.
0: Yeah. That I also, uh, I, you know, I mean, I'm yeah, l- definitely problematic, you know, saying that how she dresses because she's a whore. Like, and that's yeah. certainly, certainly yikesy as well. No one's in their right mind here, but I agree with you there. This is just like, so over the top. Like, uh, I mean, I don't like it. It is true that, oh, I mean, I honestly, like, it's true that like, you can't control love. Right, I mean, so, you, sometimes you just make bad choices. Yeah, but and, yeah. But like the the mom not understanding Murphy here is what what's up, Car- Karen. Shitting. Rather, like it's you. I can understand her. Like you know, like she's in love with this guy, and that's they fit. They they met, you know, and they didn't realize who they were, and it, it happens, right? And and I, especially I if you're like not super close. They, I feel like she knew who it was, though. Well, you no, know, she got arrested. Yeah. But so, like, she just got arrested, and then probably was flirting with the cop. is my guess, misogynistic, probably, I guess. But like,
1: no, it, it, but it's it's right on point for that character.
0: But it's it's less. I think there's a universe where the mom can support her choice and like, re, you know, recognize that it's a problem potentially with you know Karen. But this is something that you know, like when when you're at the point where you're engaged with someone, it's not like it's probably beyond most of the second guesses there's going to be a couple still, but like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I understand mama Murphy giving what's her sister name, Lisa, Lisa giving Lisa her support. I get that. I do. I, I get what you're saying. And that it, it certainly would be, it would take a bit of a path to get there um, logically. And as a normal person, but I, I understand the mom getting to that point but I don't understand her being so flippant and dismissive of Karen's concerns about it yeah. and Karen's, Karen's,
1: you know what I mean? Like I, I, that's I, the part that bothers me. so. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. It's just that it just bothered me. It bothered me immensely. And so then we learned that they're moving to Chicago. Chicago. And yeah. Uh, and then Karen gets a phone call and we learned that it is, Uh, But, uh, and so Harry's talking to Mrs. Murphy and, uh, she says, I'm sorry. My daughter dragged you into our family squabble. I volunteered. I said, and now you regret it. I shook my my head. Hell, uh, heck no. (laughs) She's, She's been there for me too many times. Mrs. Murphy. I don't know if you're aware of how dangerous her job is. The kinds of things she faces in special investigations can be especially difficult and disturbing. Your daughter saves lives. There are people who would be dead right now if she hadn't been there. I'm several of them. (laughs) And then we learn that her father was a a black cat, which this was the 13th Precinct investigators who were handled to these, handled these cases before they established special investigations. Karen didn't know this. Then we also learn that her father committed suicide because of the job. Which gives a whole darker, different perspective on Karen Murphy. She's still, you know, that, the fact that this job is so important. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, she says, I know what my daughter is facing. And Harry, again, talks her up. She's good, not just skilled. She's got a good heart, Mrs. Murphy. I'd sooner trust her with my life than anyone else in the world. It isn't fair for you to give her a hard time about her job. Mama Murphy's eyes sparkled, though they were a little sad. She thinks she's protecting me from the awful truth, Harry, when I complain about her work and she keeps things secret in reply. It makes her happy to know that her mother is not aware, is not even aware of such dangerous things. I could never take that away from her. I see where she gets it, which I love. I love that they both are those women that have to protect the people around them. But that's very much Harry. Harry has to protect the people around him. And he did the same thing, keeping Karen in the dark that Karen does to her mother.
2: Which is interesting. Yeah. And, like,
0: they're both keeping things from each other to, like, protect each other, you know? Karen and her mother.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And it's causing problems for both of them. And, again, this isn't me, like, uh, piling on or attacking because I it's hard to be a human being, but like Murphy's mom here doesn't recognize that. Obviously I'm never, ever blaming anyone for driving someone to suicide or anything like that. But like the idea that her husband died by suicide and in large part, at least because he's dealing with the things that Murphy deals with Mm -hmm. and not having that conversation. But she
1: didn't know he did that. Who's that? Murphy didn't know his father, her father dealt in the, in that same world. Which exactly what I'm
0: saying though, but, but Murphy's mom does. And she sat by and I'm again, not throwing blame on her for his death. But if you watch someone you care about, live a life Mm -hmm. that ends with them dying by suicide. Very tragically. And then you see your daughter, someone else you care about, going down that same path, I find I it hard say, to believe that you wouldn't have some right. of these conversations. Yeah. I know. I agree. I think that's and, a really valid point. And, and I think, you know, the, the point of it is that Murphy's mom isn't perfect. And that's mm-hmm. again, you know, that's fine. And you can gloss over that if you want, but like between her, not understanding Karen's issues with her hu- ex-husband, mm-hmm. marrying yeah. her sister. Yeah. And also like, if you know what happened to Colin, what why wouldn't you want to support your daughter? And again, she does. She thinks supporting her is trying to convince her to do a different career or doing take yeah. a different path. And that again, I'm not sitting here p- blaming the, the mom's not like the worst character evil character or anything like that. No. But it's just like it, your husband died by suicide. Your husband had the same job as Karen.
1: Yeah. Like That's a it, really good point. That's a really good point. And it's just also kind of sad. 100%. It hurts. This chapter is kind of lighthearted and it's, it's, it hurts me. Karen finds out that Kincaid, Kincaid's called her and and tells her that the Red Cross has shown up and apparently they do a blood drive out of the basement every three months. And that's where the Blackboard is. Murphy wants to call in the law and he's like, don't tell, she says, don't tell me how to do my job. This isn't your job, Murph. Do you remember when I told you that I'd tell you everything? Do you remember that you agreed to trust my judgment? That you wouldn't go calling in the cavalry on these things? Her expression became even more furious. Do you think I'm too stupid to know how to handle this? I think that you're way too worked up already and that you can't let this family thing get in the way of you making the right decision. Getting the mortal authorities involved would be bad for everyone, Murph. Bad for you. Bad for SI. You might win the day, but when these things hit back, Your
2: people are going to suffer.
1: She's. what do you expect me to do? I expect you to listen to the person who knows what he's talking about. I expect you to trust me, Murph, the way I trusted you. Get on the damn phone and tell Kincaid what I said and ask where to meet. Then we take care of business. And she says, fine, I'll do it. But don't think I won't kick your ass over this later. Now back off before you blow up my phone. And so he goes back to Mama Murphy and she says, that's quite an argument. I see it would seem you won and I'll pay for it later. And Mama Murphy prepares them another plate of food. And he said, and she says, will you take care of my daughter? Yes, ma'am. Of course I will. Her blue eyes flashed fiercely. And she said, let me get you a piece of cake.
2: (laughs) I like it. She's trying to help him by feeding him. That argument was intense. Very intense. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Um, but.
1: But he's right. She was also wound up about the family stuff.
0: Sure, sure, sure. It's interesting the switch that goes from the start of that chapter to the end. And again, Murphy's had a moment, obviously, during that chapter. So I'm not saying it doesn't flow. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm not saying I have a problem with it. It's just certainly notable that how he's giving her so much credit at the beginning. And then he's just all over her.
1: But I, but I think it's also, it says a lot about their relationship because he can be this blunt with her.
0: Yeah, no, for
2: sure.
1: And she sees reason. He understands that she will see reason
0: after a fashion, I guess after.
1: After, Yes. After a fashion.
0: So they head out to the parking lot where Ebenezer's parked. She stops short. It's like you're kidding me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Come on, you want to show show up somewhere and get in trouble in your own car? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is clever. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What does it run on? Coal? <laughs> no idea. Most lads just turn it loose to hunt down dinner for itself. I love him. And she gets kind of fussy with him, um, as you know, you're want to be. Uh, no problem with that but I do love that she stops short when you know, she tells him she's driving because he's old and she knows the streets better, I guess. Yeah. But she tells him she's driving, which kind of takes the point of having a wheel man out, but whatever. Um, but she's driving and then Harry says, better move over, sir. We're in a hurry. And she about loses her mind. Yeah. With him calling him, sir, with Harry calling Ebenezer, sir.
1: Because these honorifics,
0: oh, absolutely, but that immediately changes her tone. Oh, yeah. Recognizes even above when Harry says his teacher, his friend, she still kind of gets on him. But when she hears the sir, she realizes just how important this guy is historically to Harry, and so she changes her, you know, move over, I'm driving to. If you don't mind, Mister McCoy, I know the streets better, and there are lives at stake. So, again, just tells you about them kind of picking up on each other's yeah. feelings, which I love, and their relationships.
1: And <laughs> he gets how important he is to Harry. Or she gets how important he is to Harry.
0: And that immediately is important to her, right? That's yeah. what I
1: meant. Like, oh, definitely. And I love it.
0: We find they have assault rifles. She you know, kind of asks for the score. He tells her, you know, there are assault rifles and hostages. And Murphy says, Jesus, Harry, people can, Harry, that was weird. (laughs) Jesus, Harry, people could die. No could about it. They're already dying. At least three bodies already. And the Renfields are just a matter of time. And, you know, she wants to do the cop thing, establish a perimeter, get all the SWAT teams in here. Mm -hmm. And Harry tells her, like, and tell them what exactly? Like a basement full of vampires is not going to cut it. And if they go in with blinders on, cops will get killed but also, you know, she very cleverly says a direct assault on a wary target is one of the best ways in the world to get killed. So they say they're going to have to come up with a plan. Hopefully Kincaid has something. Uh, so he's come up with another Looney Tune, Walmart style plan. But <laughs> again, this back and forth is we have this all the time, right? The mundane versus supernatural police versus vigilantism. It's a common trope in urban fantasy. It's a common trope, you know, in this series. And I don't, always mean trope in a bad way. It's a common theme that we see come up a lot, right? Yeah. Um, there are probably sometimes when using the police to your advantage will work, right? We saw that last novel when they called in a bomb threat to shut down the airport.
1: We also saw this novel with Joan pulling the yeah. fire alarm to bring the police okay. in.
0: But that was to slow down the police.
1: But it's using the police to their advantage.
0: Well, no, that was using the fire department to their advantage. That, well, that's true, actually. But, but that was that was more like mundane stuff. Right, right i mean I, i'm talking about using cops against the supernatural
3: yeah, okay um, sometimes
0: That's it works right. but but most of the most of the time it is this but it's just again we always talk about these things just that intersection yeah uh, interesting and cool i appreciate it immensely it's a pretty pretty worse for the wear neighborhood which is interesting it's kind of uh a problem that happens a lot with whenever there's means testing for anything but the idea that this neighborhood wasn't as infamous as some others mm-hmm. and so it hasn't gotten all the funding to kind of progress and and you know mm-hmm. um clean up i guess
1: it's not on the news as much
0: yeah which is an interesting problem you're kind of getting caught in that in between of like if something's super bad oh we got to fix that yeah but between good and the super bad there's this layer that kind of gets left alone because it doesn't have enough infamy
1: and yeah that's, that's a good an, word that's a really good word
0: well, I stole it from infamous neighborhoods, so I yeah. won't <laughs> take too much credit there from Mr. Butcher, but I did change the tense. That's true. <laughs> I appreciate Um Yeah, I mean, he says it here. In Many, many neighborhoods that had been borderline, stead- borderline steadily eroded and then had usurped the infamous neighborhood, which is that, right? It's just the idea that mm-hmm. stuff getting caught, which is why means testing doesn't work. I know this isn't that, and this is me putting a political spin on this, but it is important. Someone always gets caught. In that one layer, right above wherever the minimum is, Definitely. and then they and they get fucked, right? Um, and it's always going to be somebody, which is why we've gone to universal child, universal school lunch in a lot of places, as opposed to you have to qualify, right? Because yeah, whatever. Because people who get missed, people get missed out. Exactly. There's always someone gets caught in that in between. you would seen worse
1: slums, but not many.
0: Tall buildings and narrow alleys choked out the sunshine. Most windows had been boarded up or broken.
1: Sounds Ground like level, that. downtown San Bernardino.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just downtown. A lot of
1: places, right? Certainly
0: after COVID, but even um, much earlier. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you see, and that's. <laughs> I mean, you can blame it on NAFTA. You can blame it on globalism. You can blame it on taxes or unions or whatever you want. But it's the reality of as the world has shifted these like. Downtown hubs have gotten worse, and now they're starting to make a comeback as you know through the aughts and uh or rather the 10s 2010s and the 2020s are starting to understand the importance of these kind of downtown hubs. Um I went I went to school in Los Angeles, went to college in Los Angeles, and where Staples or it's not whatever it is called now, I don't even know. Some some scam crypto crypto crypto.com actually. Uh, yeah, dot com or but wherever the, the Lakers and Clippers used to, Clippers played, it was still, it was pretty new. I was like 2002 it was the fall mm-hmm. of 2002 is when I went to, went to college and we would go to games and it was pretty run down and not great. And over the course of the 10 years I lived there and since then I've gone back and it it really has 10, 15, 10 years total, however long it was. It really has, it's, it's gentrified, I guess, but it's, they, they've spent money and they've built up the downtown. So there's more of a downtown scene. There's places to mm-hmm. go, there's restaurants, there's, there's bars, there's, you know, um, and they're kind of cranky trying to do the same thing over at SoFi down in Inglewood. Um, and you've seen it with, uh, to some Petco. extent, Petco park, 100%. Yeah, Petco, I mean, the gas, the gas lamp was a thing, but it's, you know, now but it it's was
1: also much more dangerous. And, um, incorrect. the, the, the sheriff's department used to ride two man cars in that area. That's how unsafe it was. They would ride two man cars uh, because really? for some reason that was a sheriff's pocket. So it's, it's, you know, these are, these are things that it's a, ve- that's a very good point where there is those areas where they're just, they're but
2: just, sorry
1: something has to, something has to be the reason for it, it, money it, to be pumped into it. Yeah, I
0: mean, well, it could just be money. It doesn't necessarily need, need something like that. But like, yeah, no. when you establish a foothold like that, it it lends itself to that. But um, if it,
1: like the infamous neighborhoods, there's a reason that money is put in there. And yeah. in, the, in the examples we referred to, the reason is because they want people to come there and spend money.
0: Yeah, and I'm generally, genuinely and generally and across the board opposed to public funding. Well, uh, yes, sure, certainly. Um the neighborhoods I went went to school in are like so different now when I go back for like alumni stuff and like to see my buddies. And it's it's like oh not it's not the same place that I experienced. For better. Let me, in a let me tell you
1: about Isla Vista.
0: I'm sure, right? <laughs> and it's like for a lot of reasons for better, and there's you know, yeah. some of it a lot of reasons for worse. You know, you, you lose totally. a lot of the culture, but you also lose, you know, a lot of the, the like the gang territory is a lot less yeah. powerful. They're like and so it's a reality of the world, but it is, it's interesting that the two thousands was when kind of the urban decline, like was really big. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you saw as, as Detroit's the, the, the perfect example because of, it was so, such a big shock as the, um, automobile industry kind of started to move out of there. And it was just, it's a city built on the auto on housing people, you know, working in the factories and stuff. And yeah. when those go away, there's no one to live there. Right. Um, yeah. you know, and, a lot of the factory, it's again, just the reality of the way the world has progressed. There aren't, we don't need as many coal miners. We don't need as many factory workers as we used to. Right. So these industries are dying and it's not because of something, anything anyone did. It's just the way the world has progressed again, for better or worse. Um, but this is kind of really when it started to get to the height. And then in the 2000, you know, after, you know, I'd say 2005, 2010 ish is when this really started to turn around and you see a lot of investment in these downtowns and You've seen great results in a lot of these places. Mm-hmm. And some of them are still works in progress. And I'm not saying every downtown is a great place to be. I'm not saying it's a terrible place to be. Everyone, everywhere has their own problems, certainly. But um, yeah, I mean, we can talk for days about this, and probably neither of us would do it very intelligently because none of us have studied <laughs> the specifics enough to really speak eloquently about it. At least I'm speak for myself. You're a brilliant woman, but I don't think you've studied a ton of urban decline literature either. So, um, I think moving on from there, but it's just interesting. This time frame is really when that was really bad in a lot of places. And you know, Chicago's still very much a work in progress. Yeah. It is. A lot of towns <laughs> are. Absolutely. Aren't we all? But uh I like the discussion of the dark power that people sense because there's dark magic and bad guys around. So Ebenezer mm-hmm. knows they've been here for a couple weeks. Um, but again, the idea that everyone feels it yeah right like murphy's been there for three minutes and she starts to feel the power and you don't always know what you're feeling right but it's this idea that like when there's bad creatures around even normal normal mundane people can experience it in some ways
3: Mm -hmm.
0: you you see that a lot in ghost stories of various types you know like you're Hair hair stands up and it gets cold or something, you know. Yeah. But that idea of kind of permeating a whole neighborhood is kind of scary.
1: Yeah, um, yeah we
0: well, bet. Yeah, and Murphy makes a great point because you know Mavra has been there that long. She probably has has some some plans. And she says, "You mean this vampire came here and then chose to make you aware of its presence? This could be a trap. Possible, paranoid, but possible. <laughs> Didn't mention that at breakfast. <laughs> um." We're doing battle with the living dead Murph expect the occasional curveball <laughs> <laughs> as they get to the parking garage. You know, Harry mentions that they should let Murphy and Harry out so that Ebenezer doesn't drive up and, you know, spook the twitchy gunman. Mm-hmm. Again, a great exchange about with between Harry and Murphy where she's talking about how scared she is basically. And Harry's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Like yeah. you would be an idiot if you weren't afraid. I wouldn't want someone with me who didn't have enough sense to be worried. And she said, what if you freeze up? What if I freeze up again on you? You won't. It could happen. It won't. You sure? I wouldn't be betting my life on it otherwise.
1: I love the faith he has in her.
0: Absolutely. And again, it's just a continuation from the last chapter. Just yeah. so much respect he has for her now that we didn't see even a couple years back. Yeah. But you've got my back, Murph. Shut up and dance. <laughs> I like it. Uh and then she realizes that we're going to have to kill some people. And he says, probably it isn't their fault. I know we'll do what we can to avoid killing them. But from what I know about them, they're too far gone to leave us many options.
1: They might as well be dead, which sucks.
0: Yeah. And she makes a great reference back to full moon, right? Where the FBI agents were going, you know, going outside the yeah. law and vigilantes And it is, it's a very fine distinction here. Yeah. Right. For real. It's, I understand her trepidation. I understand obviously that this is, you still have to do it, but this isn't that far off of certainly killing, you know, the loop guru. but this isn't that far off of, of killing people that the law can't touch. Yeah. The distinction is that these aren't people anymore. But even he mentioned that the white court might not see it that way. So it's again, the, the philosophical debate they're having here that I don't even know how sure of himself Harry is. And he's putting it on, I guess as you, much. You mean the white way. council? Oh, did I say white court again?
1: Yeah. Sorry. I was yeah. just, I want to make sure that. No, I got... no, no, no.
0: Thank you for that. Because I've done that a couple times already today. Um, don't have two groups have the same color. Give them a different color. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, that's my bad. But, yeah, no, exactly, right? But they, if they don't see these Remfields as already dead, then this is, again, this is breaking the first law.
3: Yeah.
2: Very problematic. You know,
0: her faith in the power of the law is kind of wavering here. And I give her shit for that all the time. No, but he does... Put it great here. It's almost holy. You know, it's almost like a religious connection to her job and her, her, her role. And, and she's recognizing and she's done this over the course of, you know, four or five years here. Yeah. So she's, she's recognizing that the law doesn't have all the answers, You know, especially these creatures that we're seeing. Somebody's got to do something yeah. like, you know, and I love that, you know, she says it like we're, we're, he says, we're the only ones around. Either we choose to take a stand now or we choose to stand around at all the funerals, regretting it later.
1: That is a really strong line. Oh,
0: it's so fucking good. Yeah. You know, and Murphy recognizes that too, where she said, I, I guess I needed to hear that out said out loud. Yeah. Let's go. I'm ready. Crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, she looks good in a dress, which is fine. Again, it's not creepy. It's just... Giving your friend a compliment. It's great. I love it.
1: Yeah, but she also doesn't take it as creepy.
0: Yeah, no, no, exactly. But I, again, I just like, it, it's great. I love, I love their, I just love their relationship. I, I do mean, too. Didn't until this read through. You've so. come back around on her. Well, yeah, I, I mean, love I just, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always room to go back. <laughs> um, so he tells him that the wheel man's coming up in a minute and they look at Bob's map. And Kincaid says, suicide. Eh? We go in there guns blazing, we're going to get burned two feet from the door. I tried to tell him that. So we get a plan. Any suggestions? Blow up the building. That works good for vampires. Then soak what's left in gasoline, set it on fire, then blow it up again. <laughs> for future reference, I was sort of hoping for a suggestion that didn't sound like it came from that Bolshevik Muppet with all the dynamite. Check.
3: <laughs> I love it.
0: Where are the Red Cross people? I killed and dismembered them. <laughs> oh, I didn't know I'd like Kincaid as much this time through either. And part of that is just because you like him so much. I love him. Really like, it, it's just so good.
1: <laughs> he's just great.
0: He's yeah. got a great just vibe. Yeah. They somehow got the idea I was a cop. Um, <laughs> they, they somehow got the idea I had a badge.
1: <laughs> I love
0: it oh and he gave him money to go grab lunch and he told uh dresden that he put it on his bill which i love Mm -hmm. uh he's got some red cross disguises (laughs) where'd you get those found them (laughs) (laughs) uh just everything about kincaid just being like trying to be you know toe the line as much as possible but also have a fun time himself um she wants she wants to go in the the Van to change. Kincaid says, "Why?" um, shut up. Give me the keys. There's a, whatever, back and forth. And then, uh, we get the cool action scene, um, set up where you put all your guns on and you get kind of geared up, which is fine. Um, it makes a reference to it looking like a John Lu- John Woo movie, which I love. Is um, great. and as Ebenezer pulls up, Kincaid watches the truck and says, so who is this guy? Ebenezer hops out and says, so Hoss, Who's this hired gun? The old man and the mercenary saw one another and stared at each other from maybe seven or eight feet apart. Time stopped for one of those frozen crystallized instants, And then both of them went for their guns. ruh <laughs> Which is a great place to stop and leave Lissy in suspense. Uh, my goal was to make Lissa want to immediately open up her ebook. The second we're done recording, (laughs) (laughs) and I think some weeks more than others that happens.
1: Yeah, Um, I definitely at least start listening to the audiobook.
0: Yeah, but I love you know that he told Ebenezer who it was. He used his name. Yeah, and he didn't know it. No, but he sees him and he knows him, and there's clearly something between them. Yeah, and we'll see what as we move. They have history, as they say history. Ah. Uh, I love it. I've been watching a lot of uh a lot of I watched like the first season. But I watched the first season of Justified. You watched mm-hmm. Justified? Yeah, I have. Uh, what's his name? Raylan Givens. Oh, Timothy Oliphant. Um Yeah. I which I want to go back and watch Book of Boba Fett now because he's a marshal in that too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, which I actually loved.
0: Yeah. But I mean, everyone online loved it. And I was like, oh, I guess I should watch Justified at some point. So I put it on the list. And eventually it was just like on Hulu trying to kill time. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Six.
3: It's
1: and pretty good. I watched
0: good. the episode and immediately watched like six. I was like, God, I got to go to bed.
2: But
1: uh, It's a good show. So,
0: oh, yeah. Really good. But just that uh, all the accents just made me think of. I know uh, Missouri and Kentucky are not similar things. Well, not super similar. But. Hmm. Uh, Close enough. Yeah, close enough in my brain at least. <laughs> um, just go on get is something they say a lot on that show, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Either way, um, let's
3: pop uh, over and just a an quick analysis on this. Thing.
0: So, chapter twenty four, we saw Bobby being much more cool um, than he mm-hmm. was before, which is nice. You know, he's had a as jake suggested he's had some time to think of his name he's you know calmed down a little bit he seems um, a little less stressed yeah maybe his, maybe he had a scene or two that went well the day before who knows
1: um, but he may have also heard that harry saved denari
0: sure oh i like that that's a good his Denari's is girl. so yeah no i didn't think about that but he definitely just seems in a better place he's much you know friendlier and he apologizes to yeah which is great up with Jake is fine. The, uh, just the, the stony baloney Jake scene is great about yeah, all of it. The from Trey. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the Gowan commando name is great. Yes. <laughs> and then we, we you know, learn about the potential for a fourth wife, which from Jake, again, we love that, but it certainly reframes the suspect pool. Yes. And then in walks Trixie. So any, any thoughts there on any of that? I mean, we covered um, most of it, but.
1: so we were talking about the three wives and the, he makes me wonder if Jake's weird behavior makes me wonder if Jake is the he. Okay. Um, I just, there's just something about him that like, he seems like a nice, great guy, but that being in a pose meant to convey calm and confidence.
0: Yeah, I like that you jumped on that line because it is it was kind of strange. Like Harry I don't know why, but I just felt this.
1: Yeah, I don't know why he was faking I why I thought he was faking it, but he was. So that's an interesting there's something there's another level with Jake that I'm not real certain about. Um that was the big one. And the other thing which this made me think about, and it's not necessarily something in these chapters, but I texted you this. Um Thomas's fee has been paid.
0: Yeah, for taking the case.
1: Yeah, because, you know, again, it's part of the case. But he asked Thomas why he helped him. And if he takes a case, that's that's the fee Thomas has to pay. And now we know that. We know that because we know why Thomas is helping him. Because they're brothers. And I really, really like that. And I feel like that doesn't necessarily strongly influence a lot of this. But it has given Harry some insight through this, and it came up when we were talking about when he was talking to Bob in chapter twenty six, I think twenty seven. Um, but I think that is, you know part of the analysis that I feel like that is sort of important mm-hmm. um, because it is very much a an underlying theme, but an underlying sort of uh, what is this that Thomas his fee has been paid. It's given us a lot of insight to it's given Harry some insight I think but it also emphasizes the that importance of that bloodline that Bob talks about the bloodline curse Does that make sense
2: Yeah
0: for sure um Some of your phrasing there is going to rankle some I don't say feathers in a bad way but it's definitely going to it is interesting um, in a way that you won't understand for a long time, but I, and I hate to do that to you. It's just, oh. I mostly, I'm talking to the audience now that it's ah. funny. The, the well, way well, you're I was, I was trying
1: to like, come up with that statement in my head. That
0: isn't mo- No one's, we're not mocking you subtly or anything like yeah. that. Just more the way you're describing certain things in that. Um, okay, oh, yeah, interesting. Just fun, terminology wise is funny. That's all. Okay. You'll, know, you'll know it when you see it. But, okay. yeah, no, I'm not sure I attach the same significance to him, him paying it early or anything like that. Um,
1: not that necessarily that it was early, but that it has been paid. But, it, but it's certainly, it is certainly interesting, and he
0: didn't. And you'd think that'd be something he'd mention. I don't
1: know. If, I, I mean, I don't know if it's... He might not even realize it, so... Yeah, no, that's fair. But, I mean, I, it was just something that I really... Um, it hit me, and that's why I texted that to you in the middle of listening to it, and I was like, Shit!
0: <laughs> but, yeah, it's pretty great. Absolutely. Um, we've kind of talked through all the potential mysteries and stuff. So we don't necessarily need to hammer on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the chapter with Trixie holding the gun over him for most of it and the gun going off and him running away. Mm-hmm. We mentioned really like Joan. I loved Joan in that one. And with Emma getting shot and killed. I wanted to bring up a uh, an email from Eliza, who we've, we've talked about it before. On Eliza on this show <laughs> before a uh, friend of the program, but she sent an email with a lot. I mean, it was chock full of good stuff that I love, but one of the really interesting points, she's, she's a writer and she mentioned that a lot of characters, you know, Alyssa, as we know, mentioned that she thinks Emma was going to die. This happens, this novel and she got shot here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, uh, you know, actors tend to do, excuse me, one of the things that authors tend to do is that you go back And you fluff up the characters who are going to die. So it adds a little bit more weight to the death.
1: But we also have mentioned that the characters, the secondary characters are well-developed
0: in this. Oh yeah. That's what she was talking about is that the secondary characters, a a lot of them are very well-developed and that don't die off. But a lot Mm -hmm. of the ones we'll spend time, you know, think about um, Carmichael, think about Meryl, think about Emma, right? Like these characters that we really really grow to love. And that's not to say that the other ones that don't die aren't, but she's thinking maybe this is from a, like a Doylean angle, I guess. Okay. But like talking about the, the writing process that when you know a character is going to die, you can go back and like add a little bit of juice to them mm-hmm. as you go through. And that's an interesting thought because she said yeah. that right after you mentioned that Emma was doomed and, or that Emma, you thought Emma was going to die. And then it made me kind of think back to those other characters. Again, think about that Carmichael episode where we just love Carmichael. Right. That was like yeah. the, one of my favorite characters in this novel series was that one chunk of four, you know, five or seven or eight chapters of Fool Moon. I really oh, liked movie. him. He's just great in that. And I wonder now, this is going to get me going as we go through this to look at other characters that I know are not Doomed. long for the world <laughs> to pay more attention to as we go. And I wonder if that, I, I hesitated to even bring this up because it could be spoilery for you to, to figure that out. But I think it's great when you figure that stuff out. So I don't care, <laughs> but it's a really good point, And it, certainly the insight is, you know, Lissy's done more writing than I have, but neither of us would ever, I don't think fancy to call ourselves an author. Again, I no. don't want to speak for God, you. No, But, um, so getting the perspective of a, of a writer, um. It's
1: cool. I love it. It's really
0: cool. As That's awesome. So thank you so much for your, uh, perspective there. I
1: love everyone's perspective. I love the views of everyone that, you know, that's everyone. Come on. I'm just kidding. Well, then everyone who the things they've, they've sent us, you know, I know I so commentary on, I really do appreciate it. I think it's great. And it's a lot of fun to kind of see where everybody um, who's contacted us, it kind of sees things both with and in contrast to, and I think it's fantastic. It's, it's really fun interacting with everybody and kind of hearing what everybody has to say about the crazy shit we talk about. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. It's fun. Having a great time with it. We really are.
0: But yeah, I just thought that was interesting about Emma. Obviously you get a uh, uh, for that. Seriously. Uh, Another, another prediction nailed straight on, which I love. You know, she definitely, she uses the male pronoun he here to suggest the masculine. She uses the masculine pronoun he here to suggest that it's not just the Stregas. It's not just the wife there, but, Mm -hmm. um, Good stuff. Um, anything else in that chapter that you didn't mention that you? you I don't know?
1: think so. We do a lot of am- analysis as we go through, so it's. Um...
0: And we also say that every week.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do. One hundred percent. Wait, was
0: that? Uh, we say it every week. We say it yeah. every week. We say it every week. We, um, we do but some analysis. Okay. We do. yeah, no, it is, and it, but it's just I, but I also, like. Also, the box of
1: fucking tin foil.
0: The tin foil. There you go.
1: Uh, (laughs) but I did mention that as we were going through.
0: I know you did. I know the stuff with Bob. I know we went over that at nauseum, so I don't want to spend too much time there, Mm -hmm. but it really was just like a huge expo dump. It really just like, but it felt entertaining all the way through. There was some good stuff that we picked up lore wise. Of course, whenever you get these chapters, but um, from a writing standpoint, it's gotta be tough to find ways to sideline Bob. And I, because you know, you would be getting this all the time, right? And yeah. I, I really, I think that's kind of why we ended up with a somewhat lame excuse for him to have to be gone two days in a row.
1: Yeah, it kind of made sense, though. I mean, it
0: it, I, it did. I mean, Bob is a perv. but just interesting. And the most important thing in that whole chapter, of course, is that we learn about vampires.
1: Yes, and I love that. <laughs> but I also, in the previous chapter, I like that we learned that Joan is a total fucking badass.
0: Yeah, no, Joan is, again, Joan's a really cool character that I like. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We'll see what that means, Eliza. And
1: also, so I um, really, really love, it probably means she's going to die. That's 100%. That's the joke. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the other things, and I'm really bad at graphic art, but I did a little squishing two clip art together. The cell phones are the caged canaries in the coal mines of the supernatural. I just need that as a sticker, (laughs) just a cell phone in a cage. (laughs) It just made me giggle. I love that the visuals on that, Mm -hmm. and the comparison to historical historical what historical stuff. Which one? The cage, the canary in a coal mine. Oh yeah, no, you did like that line. (laughs) I love it a lot. I actually texted Josh about that. Great, great visual on that one. Again, I love visuals.
0: Uh, we uh, we talk about we talked ad nauseum about Lisa and, and Mama Murphy yeah. and all that. I just I loved his interaction with her cousins or brothers or whoever those mm-hmm. were, just because it's funny and annoying, and that's kind of when okay. he's at his best.
1: Yeah, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, besides that, nothing too. Yeah, we touched on that, but um, and then the Kincaid chapter. Kincaid's great; he always is. Mm-hmm. But his that big cliffhanger there. Um actually first I mean start with that the back and forth with Harry and and Murphy is is great. I love that we see her faith break and then she kind of finds a new faith in you know herself and Harry and what they're doing. Yeah. Which again, if every cop did this, it would be dangerous and terrible and too many do in real life, but in this situation obviously we do need someone to go kill the vampires. Yeah. And it can't only be Lissy. So she needs help <laughs> once in a while. And now they don't even let her carry a gun. They probably yeah. match you. <laughs> Dork. But, uh, yeah, no, I just, I, I like that chapter a lot. And again, the, the cliffhanger, I really want to hear your thoughts on, do you have any wild swings or we'll hear about um, those later? Right
1: I, I, I don't really know. When I read it, I was like, Ooh, I wonder what the fuck happened there because, mm-hmm. you know, everything we've seen with, uh, Ebenezer has been pretty chill and low key. Like he's not. I mean, we know he's a a, a wizard, but we haven't really seen anything that's uh, kind of knocking the teeth about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we really don't know that much about Ebenezer. All of it is just colored in this, like, from Harry's perspective. Of course, it is, mm-hmm. but it, it from his perspective, Ebenezer saved his life. Yeah. He took him from literally from potentially getting his head cut off to teaching him how to control his magic and give him a, a, a raise on Detra. Like he's more important than anyone else in his past. As far as positive, I guess yeah. <laughs> there are some other important stuff, yeah. but we, we've never gotten any of the seedy underbelly that has to, because everyone has shades, right? Of gray. Um, but we haven't gotten any of that from Ebony. No, we All haven't. we've seen are these positive, upstanding moments. And that isn't to suggest, you know, Kincaid's not necessarily a good guy. So it's not to suggest
3: Hmm.
0: that Kincaid's all sunshine and roses and, and Ebenezer's the bad guy here, but we haven't seen any of that darkness or that, like the, the, the bad stuff in his past. And even if he's the good guy in this exchange, it's still having bad stuff coming back up, bubbling back up, you know? Exactly. So I I thought that was kind of cool. And I'm intrigued to see, I mean, I'm not intrigued because I know from that perspective, I'm intrigued just to see how it progresses. Um, from the deep dive type of perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. It's all very interesting though.
0: Is good stuff. Yikes. We touched on them, of course, as we always do, but do you have anything uh, to add on the Yikes front?
1: Not really? That was the most uncomfortable part for me on that one. Yeah. Um, you I know. mean, it's
0: always a bad idea to call your sister a whore, but. Yes, um, more so when it's just based on her dressing, the way she dresses. Yeah, which it's a hot day in the park. Like, what? What are you, yeah. What are we doing here? Um, mm-hmm. but I digress. Yeah, nothing too problematic. I actually really like some of the uh, anti what yikes. You know, like we, he his introduction to to Mama Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff was just pretty pretty well done. Um, in, in opportunities when it really didn't always have to be um, or whether there were opportunities for yeah. it to be done yeah. quarterly. So again, I agree. Kudos, Mr. Butch. Um, but that means we got to see if uh, we got any quotes this week. What are you thinking?
1: Just one or 12. <laughs> um, let's see here. 24. Okay. Uh, the first one I I read, I went through, but it, it was, it's not as funny as it is truthful okay when kind men grow angry things are about to change which i really like um and
2: then he sighed
1: all right may fortune smile on your efforts mr dresden don't know why she'd start now
0: (laughs) i do love that one
1: yeah and then this is about Bobby. It just made me giggle. Now that he wasn't threatening violence, I could see that this kid was a jewel. He could potentially provide some lucky wise ass with straight lines for the rest of his natural life. And you <laughs> couldn't put a price on that. Oh, <laughs> I do love that. Um, and then over the years, I've learned that ignorance is more than just bliss. It's freaking orgasmic ecstasy.
2: Um, been busy been a busy
1: couple of days what would dodging all the certain death coming at me from every direction not a second to spare for thinking and you know it wouldn't kill you to be a little more polite why take chances why take chances <laughs>
0: <laughs> that one deleting that one
2: i
1: love
0: that um
2: when bob tells harry that uh
0: the Renfields have assault rifles, grenades, and body armor. Holy crap. Bob leered at me from a shelf. Aw, is I'm scared of the mean old machine guns? <laughs> I love Bob. Oh, just, just anything of Bob being an ass is great.
1: Mm-hmm. It's pretty
0: great. Um, yeah, again, along the lines of the dismembering monsters with a chainsaw is one thing, people are another. Yeah, people are easier. Uh, that whole, again, Bob yeah. chapter is just like, it's cheating for quote of the weeks because there's just so many good
2: opportunities. There are. Um... Uh-huh. We're doing battle with the living dead, Murph. Expect the occasional curveball.
0: And then this was assuming, of course, that Mavrun or Vampire Scourge, or possibly the man I'd hired to help me kill them, didn't take me out first. Maybe they wouldn't get their chance. See? That's the power of positive thinking. Love it. We'll see if we can do it. Um, good stuff. Well, uh, that takes us most to the end of the road here, which means gotta get us out of here with a crackpot theory
1: all right crackpot theory uh kind of already talked about that jake being the uh the he power. in question yes the he in question um there was another one but what's his motivation Have we see money any power power of course but the other thing, how the how other thing get, oh i um, forgot to mention about how um you know we talk about how power came power came before money and when what's-her-face Trixie Mm -hmm. says, talks about her power. It's all about her power that she doesn't actually have. How powerful she is. I thought that was interesting. Um, but other crackpot theories, um, Joan's probably gonna die. Uh, Jake is more than meets the eye. And I really think that the, um, bloodline spell with Harry and Thomas is going to come into
2: play. I truly truly do. And I still think Mr. has a magical power. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> but yeah. That's, that's where you. I'm at. Very good
0: stuff. Beyond that, um yeah, no, really really fun times. We appreciate y'all. Um, this will come out this weekend. We've been actually pretty consistent over the last few weeks, getting it out on time for the most part. I was a couple hours late on Saturday. Got it out before noon for our subscribers. I appreciate your patience. And then Sunday came out, you know, comes out Sunday morning for
3: uh-huh. for the
0: masses. And um, yeah, just appreciate you guys. Continued support. And I'm looking forward to finishing this one up. We got, uh, looks like two more weeks probably um, or maybe even three. This novel does have a couple of climaxes. So, um, I want to say it goes into the forties. Yeah. Chapter 42 is the last chapter. Jack. Jackie, Jackie Robinson, as well as the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything mm-hmm. 42. Um, so which means we're gonna have to go at least six this week. And, yeah, okay. so let's go to photo six next week just to get through the entire um, black court battle issue thing. Probably makes the most sense there. And then progress as we go. So, yeah, so we'll see it for six chapters next week. We'll go through chapter 35. Sounds like a plan. And I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if Lissy is because she's a jerk, but I certainly am. Um, I'm always looking forward to spending time with y'all. Um, so thank you guys so much for all the support. Again, the, the single most important thing you can do is a tell all your friends mm-hmm. and B give us a rating on Apple. Um, or I don't even, I can't tell what software as You can, um, give ratings, but anywhere you can give us a rating like, technically everywhere, but yeah, it's not, but it's not always easy to figure out. Yeah. Um, so anywhere you can give a rating, we'd really appreciate it. It just helps. It helps people find us. And, uh, mm-hmm you know you know how ridiculous we are we need a lot of people to find us to keep this we uh you know saw a good shout out on facebook today because we uh always appreciate it so awesome well we love having you i have been josh
1: and i am Alyssa. The cast was on fire and it wasn't my fault
2: One of my kids
0: today sent me a text message with zero context. Okay. It was his home phone, his phone screen, mm-hmm. like lock, his lock screen on his phone uh-huh. or somebody's phone, but it presumably I know it was his. Um, uh, and it's Del Mar celebrating a national championship. Oh, so it's every time he looks at his phone, he gets angry Ah, and motivated.
2: And I love it. That's spectacular. <laughs>